If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Are you excited, Ian? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. He's very excited for a new completely unnecessary podcast for Tuesday, June 7th, 2016. Yes, he's Ian Ferguson. Howdy. I'm Pat Contry. Mm-hmm. We've got about 22 topics to discuss. Wow. Wow. The, the latest and greatest in retro gaming news, modern gaming news, movie news, Overwatch porn news, and of course, your Q and A. But first... We have a couple of sponsors to help pay the bills. Some words from our sponsors. This one's Arcade Works. Arcade Works is the maker of the Omega Entertainment Machine. Hands down, the best way to play Neo Geo arcade games from the comfort of your own couch. Sporting a design inspired by the legendary home system, the Omega utilizes the low-cost MVS format to finally put Neo Geo console gaming within financial reach. Each Omega ships with the latest Unibios and the optional VMC upgrade lets players save their progress and high scores. This allows for many options that are normally not seen in the arcades. So get yours today at ArcadeWorks.net. Use coupon code OMEGANOW for $10 off the purchase of an Omega Entertainment Machine. And Ian, you like Loot Crate. I like Loot Crate. Yeah. I've been unboxing them with Frank uh, for like 14 months. So Loot Crate's your, you know, your monthly subscription box for geek gear and gamer gear. There's a t-shirt there every month. You usually get like an exclusive toy or figure of some sort. You get a nice pin. Uh, you get it between, I don't know, about six to eight items every month. The value's usually pretty good. The value's usually between 40 and $50 worth of stuff. And it costs you like what? It's like 14 bucks for one month. And then the more you go for your subscription, the lower it costs. It's like 12 bucks plus shipping it could be if you get like a whole year. The thing know? is, I've always liked like the littler stuff, the pins. Uh, my wife has gotten them and uh, like things like, like luggage tags and stuff, like those sorts of things I always found very neat. So it's not the same stuff every month. You do see some pretty interesting variety in what they'll send you. Yeah, each month is themed and June is dystopia. This is my little read. Pop culture is full of brave new worlds and societies in flux that don't always turn out for the best. Sometimes it's bad, Ian. <laughs> June's theme will be exploring some of the ways things can go wrong with dystopia. Featuring classics like Robocop, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and The Matrix, and new faves Bioshock Infinite and Fallout 4. We've got a figure, cool collectibles, and of course, our dystoporific monthly tea. So that's, well, that's some good properties to throw in there. Mm-hmm. Not entirely sure how Robocop is dystopia. Well, it is the future. It's that's right. absolutely dystopian. It's, it's a bad Detroit. It's totally dystopian. Detroit in chaos. And, and uh, what is it, like 2020 it's supposed to be? Or ooh, we're almost there, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're almost there. So anyway, yeah. So um, this is cool that Luke Chris gave you a heads up, because usually when I, me and Frank did the unboxing, it was too late to order what you were looking at. But now you have until the 19th of June at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And if you go to LukeCrate.com slash Pat and enter promo code Pat, you'll save 10% off your new subscription. So, uh, yeah, check it out. I like him. Yeah, I do. Indeed. <laughs> All right, Ian. So, 
Mighty Number no. Nine has a set release date, and to celebrate, I guess the marketing team decided to put out a new trailer and to <laughs> advertise the game's real upcoming imminent release. Holy shit! Let's talk about a trailer that um, <clears throat> absolutely missed whatever mark it was going for. I think it was uh, trying to hit that you know that weird nineties edgy marketing, you know, that Sony and Nintendo were using and stuff like that. You know, they wanted to make you feel cool by thinking you were going to buy this game. Um, And actually, I think the narrator had a pretty good voice for it. He was just given an... I mean, the script was freaking awful, and we'll get there in a second. The voice, he sounded almost like the Splatoon announcer a little bit. Same sort of tone. Mm, I would have to disagree. The semi-ironic over-the-top tone. Sure. And and, and Splatoon... Well, and that's exactly... No, you're right. And Splatoon did that properly they hit that 90s nickelodeon vibe sure. just right um the thing about the trailer was is it was just painful to listen to i mean the line that everyone focused on i think was uh you know this attack will make uh your enemies uh will leave your enemies crying like an anime fan on prom night um you just <laughs> i mean you in one fucking sentence insulted Everyone who's buying this game, and I... I Everyone? Mean, well, yeah, basically. Everyone's an anime fan who's crying on prom night? Or you're saying that they're anime... No, they're, they're anime fans. Anime they're, fans they're anime because fans. They're like I, because, yeah, because sure. it's Muggy Man, Mighty Number no. 9, this sort of stuff. I mean, you, you, this is your target market. And, yes, have a thick skin, learn to laugh off a joke. The problem is, is and I feel I, I, I feel so bad for anyone who, who backed Mighty Number no. 9, is... This isn't exactly the time to be taking pot shots at a fan base that has had to put up with years now, a, over a year of just absolute bullshit delays because they tried to cut corners and they tried to build it on an old engine that wouldn't, you know, that wasn't supported anymore. So they had a hell of a time working their online in, and um, it was so bad that the head of uh, Inti Creates, uh, the people behind. Um, uh, Mighty Number no. Nine in in Japan, the developers uh, actually took a stab at Deep Silver. Uh, Takuya Aizu. Is Deep Silver that's the marketing? My, Deep Silver are going to be publishing it in the U.S. Oh, so they're responsible for the marketing. They've done, they've published games such as like um like uh, the Dead Island series. Okay. And uh, he he says that um. What, what, what he he's described it as horrible. Uh, what the hell was Deep Silver thinking, making a crappy PV like this? Unforgivable. Now it's funny because he asterisked out some of the letters in deep and silver. Like I don't know, you can take this a couple ways. Like he didn't want to say it out loud because it was a swear word to him at the time, or he just didn't want it to be searched. But um, the fact that the head of the company that is making the game calls out their foreign publisher for making an absolutely shitty trailer is just—that's not exactly heard of. That's someone who's pissed off. Now, they also, people were taking shots at the flame effects of Looking the game. <laughs> Looking like a pizza. But that's that's the people making the game's fault, right? That's not the people making the trailer, if that's what it looks no, like No, no, but it's like, that's also not what you show off. If, if, it, if it looks that bad, that's not what you show off. That's what's in the game. That's what's in the game. Sure. But <laughs> even, even the official, uh, what was it, the official Sega? Uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog account is honestly, yeah. it, it, it's officially Sega. It is one of the best Twitter accounts out there. It's hilarious. And they posted a picture of Sonic running from a bunch of pizza explosions I, saying, Dear anime fans, I'm proud 
prom night, at least we'll still be there for you. Sure, we haven't had a good game in 15 years, but sure, we'll be there for you. Sonic Generations, man, Sonic Generations. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we can always fall back on that. So, I mean, overall, you know, honestly, the trailer with the sound off, despite some rough graphics, if you had just been like, hey, here's a new game coming out on download in six months, does this interest you? I'd be like, yeah, that looks like a pretty cool old school type of game, but they've just, it's like they've gone out of their way to kill the interest in this game for everyone. Well, they already got everyone's money, though, so I mean, they could be fine not selling any more copies once it's out because of all the Kickstarter. And these are the pitfalls of Kickstarter. But does it actually look like a good game to you? Like, is, yeah, like is this I, turning like, out, is this going to be the product that people kickstarted or whatever it was a year and a half, two years ago? I don't ago? know what people wanted to kickstart when they wanted a, a new Mega Man, like, game, Mega Man type game. Sure. This does not look like a Mega Man quality type game, but it does look to me to be in the same vein of what people probably should have expected from it. Now, like I said, it does look kind of low rent. Like, I'm not trying to defend the game, but to me, yes, just from watching the trailer, this is what I expected. This is basically more or less yeah. what I figured we I'm were going to get. I'm watching the, tra- the trailer now. It's called Masterclass. It's got, wow, 4,000 thumbs up, 30,000 thumbs down. <laughs> um, it looks like just the graphic style, obviously, that's what you get nowadays. You're not going to get sprites, no. drawn sprites. You know that. There's a, looks like there's a lot of combo attacks with dashing. That, to me, I don't... That's is that really Mega Man to me? Probably no, not. Uh, but it, they had to probably make it somewhat different. I'm guessing or somewhat sleek and they did. And f- personally, as a person who enjoys score attack games, if that's done well, that would actually more than anything entice me to maybe play it. Is if the the the, the score system is good. Yeah, something like me. If I was expecting Mega Man, oh, there's the there's the pepperoni explosions. Wow, that's bad. But for a Mega Man fan, they're not looking for, for, for score. They're looking for speed attacks and things like this. So I don't think these systems are really going to appeal to them in the way that um, Inti Creates is hoping. So you're saying this could, that could backfire with all these dash. I think all of attacks. this stuff could make it more complex than what a, a, a traditional true lover of a Mega Man game is going to want. Yes. Sure, this trailer didn't even show off like getting all the new weapon upgrades and things like that. This is just like a, these are the basic moves of the game. Right. Uh, so this it's is your master class, motherfucker. Hope hey. you hate anime. <laughs> and it comes out June 21st on uh, PS4, Xbox One, and Wii U. Think long and, and hard before buying it. Maybe wait until a couple of your friends who fucking back the shit chime in. And there's, a for some reason, a Minecraft-looking Mighty Number no. 9 figure on the end of the trailer, which I'm not sure why that is. Who knows? The, the Retro Hero DLC. Oh, you, oh, you'll be able to play like a Minecraft-looking character in the game, I guess. Yay! Thumbs up. Yay. Ian, how's that Overwatch uh, treating you? So, here's the funny thing about video games and myself lately, is I've been having a very good run with modern video games. Um, More interesting, I think, at least for me, and and I think, you know, anyone who knows me, is that I don't play first-person shooters. I don't. I haven't liked the genre in a fucking decade and a half, uh, with the exception of, yes, I did like Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I thought it was good. Um, But Doom, we talked about last podcast, turned out to be phenomenal, and Overwatch was a game that I had my eyes on. But I was uh, iffy on it, and I'll, I'll describe what the game is. Everyone in the freaking world knows what it is now, but let me describe I... it, and I'll tell you why I was iffy on it. Overwatch is a team-based, objective-based, 
um, multiplayer only online first person shooter akin to something like Team Fortress 2. Okay, you assemble teams of six and you go in on various maps and you accomplish basically right now you have about three and a half game modes. Okay, you've got um, a capture the hill style game mode where it's best out of three rounds and you either capture a control point and once it's secured, a meter fills up. And when it gets to 100%, you win that round. Now, if the other team comes in and contests it, and they get it, then their meter fills up. It's like, so it's a, it's like so, domination yes. from from old, uh, old yeah. tournament. Okay. So, yeah, these old names are just kind of slipping me. Then there's pure attack or pure defend, where the attacking team has to capture two points while the other team defends two points. Like, uh, and then you switch okay. it, and you do it the other way. And then there's That's... escort missions, which are actually a lot of fun. Normally, I hate escort missions, where you basically have to push a car along to a destination or a vehicle along a track. Um, and then there's one hybrid mode where you have to capture a point first, and then you have to escort the car once you capture the point to the end. Now, what makes Overwatch unique beyond the fact that it's probably one of the best advertising campaigns, pre-release campaigns I've seen a company pull off. I mean, they had people in love with these characters before anyone really had a, a true grasp of how the game would play is, um, it utilizes 21 different playable characters that you choose from, uh, divided up into uh, offense, defense, tank, and support classes. And within those four classes, uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say that each of those characters plays significantly differently. So you have your character like Junkrat, who's best at staying in the back and lobbing bouncing grenades. You have your character like Tracer, who's basically the de facto mascot, who can blink forward multiple steps in an instant, or she can rewind time while she's playing, which means if you round a corner and you enter an ambush, you can press a button, granted there's a cooldown, and she will actually flash back in time to where she was with her health at that huh. period of time, because she can only take one or two hits before she's down, whereas someone that I like to play like, say, uh, my secondary is kind of Roadhog, has 600 health and can soak up bullets. So what you get is essentially you get 21 really well-crafted characters. People are in love with these character designs. But you have 21 incredibly unique loadouts that you're playing the game so, with. So, so the characters are equipped with their default primary They weapons. each get one primary weapon, and then they get, depending on who you are, you get a bunch of different stuff. So like okay. Tracer is flashes around or can rewind time. Um... Junkrat uh, can launch a uh, explosive tire that he can steal, steer around and then find a group of uh, enemies and blow it up. Um, Roadhog has a sickling hook that he can use to drag enemies closer and then use his shotgun at close range. Or my favorite character, the fucking troll that no one, uh, everyone loves but everyone hates to play against, uh, May, who can literally... Um, create walls of ice at openings to funnel people around, and she has a freeze gun that allows her to slow enemies down and freeze so, them. So it's all very unique. So so you can create a balanced team and actually employ strategies versus a lot of other, I hate to say it, a lot of first-person shooters don't put that much thought into the team mode where everyone has the same weapons or ends up using the same weapons that they prefer. Precisely. And to further this issue, this point... Um, Blizzard actively encourages when you die or at any point in your game if you're not dead and you head back to home base, you can switch your character as many times as you want in one game. Huh. So if 
Like, I like to play as May, but there are certain maps that aren't good with her all the way through. So as we get further along the escort mission, I may back out of May and pick someone like Soldier 76 or Tracer so that I can get up to the front lines really quick. Or if I notice that I've got someone who's tanking really good in an objective area, I'll switch to Mercy, I'll attach my healing beam to him, and I'll just hide in the back. And, and, and keep him alive while he's, you know, dominating the point. So what happens is, is you have this game with all of these great characters and these really well-balanced characters, but it's all brightly colorful. It's all oranges and blues and greens. And, sort of like Splatoonish. Yeah. And, and, not, and, and it's not just a, a welcome aesthetic change. It, for people like me who are colorblind... For the first time in a fucking first-person shooter, I feel like I can actually keep track of everything that's going on. And it's immediately fun to play. Um, the game balance is just so, and the, way, the the things that they keep track of that you're doing while you're playing, how much you're healing, how much damage you're blocking... Uh, how much of the uh, of the um, of the team's damage have you absorbed? At the end, you're usually going to find a stat that makes you feel like, "Hey, I contributed to the team and I did something well." And because of all that, it's it's become this massive addiction. I bought it on a whim, um, knowing that there was a very good chance I wasn't going to like this. I put it in multiple friends' hands, and I've already gotten four of my friends to get copies of it. No, it's interesting because. Uh, I've said in the past about how the first-person shooter genre was stagnant. Not anymore. I've said on the on the podcast before, but but now you have companies thinking of what was platoon. You know, it's a third person, but and you have this game where you have different classes uh, built into the game. You don't have to build them up nope. or get stupid. No, as a matter of fact, there is no level progression. Thank fucking god, there's no that you don't the 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 may that you play the first time you play is the may you play when you're level thirty, which is how it should always be. The levels, all the levels do is unlock loot boxes for you, which are extraneous skins and voice samples sure. and things that you yeah, can add. Yeah, some you reward, add. but nothing that will change the gameplay. Nope. nope. Which is perfect. You you simply have to be good with your character. Oh, yeah. So the mode is actually called Assault. The attacking team is okay. tasked with capturing two target points and see what's on the map, while the defending team must stop them. That goes back to Unreal Tournament. They were brilliant thinking that up, having uh, you know waypoints and things you had to do in order to... Time, then you had to defend it, and then you had to, then you had to break the other team's time. It's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's so good, and I, so I, that that to me sounds incredible. That's why I, I that's what playing Unreal Tournament competitively. That's what I love the most. So, in in what it did was, is it actually grew a love of objective based gameplay. Me for the longest time, all I ever wanted to do is team deathmatch. I didn't want to have to strategize with people, but Born this game, I, I well, I'm learning that. Yeah. And the, as a matter of fact, I don't want team deathmatch in this game because it's going to unbalance half yeah. the cal- characters because some of these characters only work really well in synergy with others. There's a character named Lucio who is a support character. He's a Brazilian DJ, and he can... His thing is, he has what's... He can play a tune, which either heals uh, people in the radius around him for a certain amount of time, or it speeds him up, which is really great to getting to an objective. But you can use also something called crossfade, so that you can switch between that on the fly once, like, every six seconds. You can switch what you're doing. So... He's amazing, and he can do damage, but in a team deathmatch game, suddenly his usefulness is drained considerably. So they've put a lot of work into it. Um, some people have complained, and, I, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get down on them for this. There's 12 maps. Each map is limited to one game mode each right now because they're balanced okay. maps. They're trying to balance the maps. Um, 
But 21 characters you cannot bitch about. Uh, no, people, there is no ranked play right now, but ranked play comes out at the end of June. And uh, much like Splatoon, and Blizzard is obviously going to do this better because this is how... I mean, Blizzard still releases fucking patches for Diablo 2. Um, Blizzard has promised that all future map DLC and all future character DLC is 100% free. Once you buy the game, you're supported with this game for the life of the game. So... There are a lot of people who have other minor issues with this, and I, I don't, I read them and I go, yeah, I can see that. But as a person who's finally finding first-person shooters refreshing again for the first time in 15, 20 years, I, I just, I, I can't help but gush over this game. And if you follow me on Twitter, I'm sorry, that's all I've done for the past week is gush over this game. I'll definitely look into it, uh, PC, I don't have a PS4 or Xbox One. Speaking of gushing, uh, let's talk a little bit about Overwatch pornography. Um, <laughs> that looks so sad over my little segue there. No, that was actually one of your best segues. It was also the filthiest segue you've ever had on the podcast. Yeah, well, it's, it, came out, of, it came out of my mouth. Um, oh, Jesus, that's not going to help us either. No, it's not. That's fine. I'm just going to, you know, I just spit out what's in there. Um, so, uh, completely unsurprisingly um, because it's not surprising with any game now especially not a game that uh, the developers took so much time making these characters um, there is a huge Overwatch porn scene and Blizzard is uh, you know, uh, doing what they can to remove some of this porn now before I go a little bit more into what's happening I, I need to address the fact that these people are there are people out there who make this who are complaining that uh, it's, 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 you know, they're free, their artistic, you know, expression and blah, blah, blah. They can't, they can't do this, etc. And to an extent, that's true. Uh, drawn porn of Overwatch is not, to my knowledge, what's being targeted. Uh, trust me, just out of curiosity, I check every once in a while. It's not going anywhere. Drawn Overwatch porn. It's there. So people are actually doing like cartoons? Yeah, actually like drawing it like, Just, just yeah, pictures, pictures. Not, not movies. Right. What they are taking down is the movies. And they're targeting specific movies because, one, they're being made in Source Filmmaker, SFM, which is a Valve product that allows you to take 3D models and stuff and basically make um, little movies. Uh, some some more popular stuff was done in it. I, I hate to make the assumption because I could be horribly wrong, but I think something like Red vs. Blue may have started off as a source filmmaker type of project. Okay. Um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but that's what it is. But what it uses is you can make your own models, but you can also take models from elsewhere. Well, what happened is is people ripped the models from Overwatch. So they're not okay. So they're not creating at that point. No, so they ripped the models, and they uh -huh. may have declothed some of these models to make these. Generally, with SFM porn, um, what I've learned is it's uh, research. And, 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 and guys, I, I people, I look at porn. I'm not. This is really. I trust. I'm new to this world of, of SFM porn. It's usually loops. It's usually like looping gifs. Some of them are like 45 seconds in length, but it's not really like a a start to end it, movie. So well, I'm, I'm I'm picturing the software. Ripping the assets out and giving you the models, then you can like put in different positions. And you can and do it, yes. And you can do additional animation to it. Like some people do it way better than other people. But at the end of the day, what Blizzard is going after is you taking their property, their, models. their actual property, their assets, yes. and making porn out of it. And they definitely don't want that. And I, the thing is, is I think they've been lax on this in the past with certain things, but. 
yeah, I just don't feel like anyone has a, a real leg to stand on here when they're complaining about these 3D porn loops being taken down, the ones that were obviously made using character models from the game. Well, they'll never be able to take them all down because a lot of these will be reposted on oh, sure. porn sites that are either not based in the U.S. anyway. Makes sense. We don't give a shit. Pornhub did start taking them all down, though. All the ones that the company... Uh, Blizzard is using an intermediary company here, uh, name of which I forget. Uh... Iridetto. Yeah, Iridetto. I was going to say Iridescent. Uh, Iridetto. Um, but all the ones that Iridetto, all the ones that have been taken down by Pornhub have been requested to be taken down by Iridetto, which everyone believes is an intermediary between Blizzard and these porn sites to, to have these taken down. So, um, I don't know. You know what? I got to tell you. Uh, let's just talk a quick little bit of cartoon porn. Um, these 3D loops are never particularly freaking good anyways. So uh, go, go find your drawn porn elsewhere. I mean, there's plenty of erotic <laughs> plenty of erotic art for anything you could possibly imagine. These, Well, this is a game where, what is it? There's probably a good amount of, uh, off the top of my head, I saw, well, Tracer is the one that was a controversy around her pose showing her butt. Which is funny because they actually made it, uh, they made it just as sexy. They just, they put her in a pinup pose. They were like, no, I mean, they even said going back to that, that they were planning on changing that anyways, and they just put her in a different pinup pose. Well, the point is that people, that was a big... A hubbub around around that, and then there's a character. What there's like a that's like an angel character. There's a, there's a lot of uh, female uh, characters in this game. Yes. So I think for as first person shooters, it doesn't regularly happen. And with Blizzard being a huge company, this is going to have a lot more people interested in looking for. I'll just say fringe entertainment like porn. Is that many games where you can do probably uh, porn on this level? For a game, other than a game like well, this. Well, it's interesting, yeah. too, because I feel like uh, if we're, if we're going to take porn seriously for a minute... Um, I think it's ultra seriously. There's, 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 a lot of, uh, there's a lot of diversity in the cast. You have Egyptian. You have um, May. My char- the, the character that I play as is a, um, is, a, uh, is a Chinese climatologist who is definitely on the curvier side of things in terms of, like... Female. Uh, yeah, she's, okay. thi- she's thicker. Um, you have... Uh, you have, um, oh, Christ, Ferguson. You have Koreans. You have, like I said, Egyptians. You have uh, a very wide variety of races and, and and colors and backgrounds. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, I identify with that character, and I'm going to go out and see that person naked, whether it's guy well, or girl. I hate to say, it's also a fantasy to have a whole bunch of different type of women. So if, if there's like eight different types of, type of women in there, Let's see them all naked. Well, and, and I mean, you know? it, it's well, it's not my thing. There's a bunch of really well-designed guy characters too. I mean, th- right. th- there's there's tons of opportunity here for Overwatch orgies to continue for go, the next twenty years. Go see those Overwatch wieners that are out there, Joe. Yeah. I'm sure they're in. C- the- catch the wieners. Catch the catch the gotta, thrill. Got to catch them all, I guess. Catch, I, I, catch <laughs> the thrill. Catch, is that going to be the Overwatch porn? Overwatch uh, porn. Catch the thrill. The w- Overwatch, the world needs porn. All right, so I'll have to do my own research on this topic. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll we'll touch briefly on... Um, this is a, a little bit older, but it's just fucking pathetic. You people who, who were responsible for this are fucking scumbags. You are just the worst. So No Man's Sky, a highly anticipated game for the PS4... Um, got uh, delayed uh, until about August 9th. It's the open universe uh, it's a, it's ex- explorative uh, space sim. Yeah. The space combat, space exploration, documentary in the, in the of, of species. In the vein of elite and privateer, but there's a little other stuff thrown in it. And it's Billions of planets procedurally generated. Procedurally generated. 
Um, he actually got delayed to my birthday, so I'm fine. Yeah, I remember seeing a, a Jesus when the PS4 was first previewed. This yeah. was one of the featured games. So, so it was supposed to come out. And uh, basically, uh, Jason Schreer of Kotaku had reported in an article that it appeared that the game was going to be delayed based on news from GameStop, um, where stickers had been put up over the No Man's Sky signs that were hanging in all the GameStops, where the release date was, they had put stickers over it that had instead said, coming soon. So Jason Schreer reported that there had been uh, likely a delay. And um, it was later announced that the delay would probably be August 9th. And a whole subset of the internet got very angry at Jason Schreer. Now, I don't love Kotaku, but I think part of the problem here is that it was a Kotaku reporter. And um, he started receiving death threats. What's interesting about this is the abso-fucking-lutely insane conspiracy theories that are surrounding this. Uh, the guy from Hello Games got death threats, too. The, the, the main guy behind well, Hello Games making it. Uh, because... As in the words of, of these people, uh, you knew what a delay would do to people like us who have been doing nothing but looking forward to this game. It would ruin us. By reporting, and they said this, by reporting with only shaky evidence from one retailer, uh, I'm sorry, GameStop, love them or hate them, they're a big retailer, and if they've changed the release date, that's not shaky fucking evidence. Um... By only reporting this, you have thrown all this into a tizzy, and basically you have forced Hello Games' this is the part that is crazy. You have forced Hello Games' hands into delaying the game because people are now expecting the delay, and expecting that if it releases on time, there are going to be problems with the game. That's what's insane. It's fucking nuts. But, so, more importantly, I'd like to focus on the fact that the, the director of the game, Sean Murray, uh, said he received death threats. Yes, exactly. Uh, and there's always going to be trolls out there, obviously. There's always going to be people that take stuff way too seriously or people that think they can rile people up. But for those out there that are, that are teetering on the edge of wanting to make death threats over a video game, uh, please don't. Because once you do that, I don't think there's anything... There's, there's never... You can't go back after that. There's no redeeming you. You can't look in the mirror years later and say, you know, I have a nice wife and kids now. But oh yeah, I remember I, I sent a death threat to someone over a fucking video the, game being delayed. There was there were people, and it's like you, you just this. It, it gives you a mindset of where these people are. Like they things said verbatim. This was the only thing I was looking for in my life this summer, and now you've ruined it. Yeah, you're not really you're not doing uh, much to uh, to crack those stereotypes of video gamers, are you? Well, and the and the know. fucked up thing is, while they're amassing a while they're amassing a group around them who want to rah rah and get angry at people and get angry at the dev and get angry at this Kotaku reporter, what you're doing is setting back what you've supposedly been fighting for by like two decades by well, being the kind type of whiny pissant babies who are going to cry over a fucking release date change. Well, sure. well, you can't always lump in individual actions with a quote unquote larger group or conglomerate of people and make it. I'm up. saying. But all it, video game players have wanted to better the view well, of game. I'm not. I'm sure. not. I'm not lumping uh, in anything. I'm saying that everyone wants video games to video games to not have a stigma. And here you are doing exactly what has given you well, that stigma in the first. You're place. You're always gonna have assholes. That's never going to change. I, I mean, I just think it's just fuck, man. It's just unfortunate that let's just hope that 
well, if these were over Twitter, hopefully Twitter takes it seriously and, and you know suspends these accounts or someone looks into it, they find out the IP addresses and local PD could come talk to those people, even though they're probably not credible threats. You got to come down on these people either way. Well, and Twitter do doesn't fucking do anything about it anyways. I mean, that's been widely documented. All right, well, no man's guy's going to come out either way and people are going to like it, I think. There's, um, there's one thing, though, that's not uh, coming out uh, either way, and uh, you and I called this a long time ago, um, and I'm going to do something that I try not to do it too much in length, but I'll get there. Uh, Dreamcast 2, Project Dream, holy fuck, it's no more. Did we report on this in the fall, was it? About I think it was the fall. When, people when, kept asking us, Pat, what about the Dreamcast 2 petition? So we Dream, finally What about the Dreamcast 2 petition? What? And we basically said, this will never, ever, 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 ever happen. happen. And we got, so, this is what I was talking about earlier, we got so much heat in the comments section. There was that Did one we? guy, Tornado something or another, who ran around and tried to discredit everything. He's like, no, we got it. We were in talks with people. This oh, is going to happen. That. Every single person who poo-pooed it, he had like... Fifty fucking comments in this, in just in this oh, one really? section. Yeah, de- def- defending Project Dream and saying we were all haters and this was going to happen. Mm. So if you're listening, fucking weirdo, uh, fuck you. We we called this. <laughs> no, hold on, there's no reason to have to call individual idiot. No, no commenters. No, no. I think everyone who no. listens who remembers this is going to be like, no, no. This, this guy deserves right. to be called out. Like, go back and look before he hears this and deletes his weird comments. Yeah. So um, and it's exactly what we thought. This is fans wanting to make hard a reality and you can't do that and it seemed like basically what happened here is there were some people who might have begun in the early stages to look at the viability of one of the many ideas they had for this project the one that sounded perhaps the most interesting to me was basically just a dreamcast with some sort of wireless router that would provide some sort of fan servers or servers for some of their online games. Basically, just a modern Dreamcast, a Dreamcast Slim, if you will. It still has, it still, that was it still a, has little, a drive to play the original. Right, right. Basically, just a Dreamcast with a couple bells and whistles, and that would have sure. been neat. However, these and the reason why I did bring up this guy or girl more specifically is it sounds like a bunch of fucking. Um, over-eager fanboys basically caused a bunch of infighting uh, with unrealistic expectations, and the only people with any credibility that could have done anything with this project, which no- wasn't going to get off the ground anyway, were like, fuck this, we're the hell out of here. Okay, so there was originally a change.org petition, petition that they submitted to Sega, which Sega probably thought, oh, that's cute. We right. got we got have hardware, uh, you know, 15 years ago. For a reason, it fucking killed us. Right. So why would we jump back into it? Um, but on Project Dream's Facebook group, there was a message, a going away message. The project has been taken offline. This is due to a schism within the team caused by inefficient and amateurish conduct resulting in members being removed and others leaving the team. In light of such unprofessional behavior and an embarrassing lack of progress, seasoned members of the gaming industry have chosen to distance themselves from the project. Yep. I, too, am stepping away from Project Dream. And then please note that the Twitter account is no longer associated with this group. So this is what happened. Yeah, you forgot one thing. Then uh, someone else came out and said, "No, no, no, it's not done." Like on that account, and then on, I, on that, the, I, and account? then that account went like that or something like that. So this is what happened. You had probably three people that had probably some experience with hardware 
that said, yeah, let's see where this can go. We'll take it slowly but surely. Then you get these fucking Sega fanboys join the project and don't know how to act professionally, have no knowledge of hardware development or any business sense, and fucking kablooey, blew it up. But I probably started fucking emailing random people at Sega. It's like, oh, it's a great idea. Come out there. And Sega's like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Get away from us. Exactly. I, some some children trying to pretend they know business and no hardware, no video game the video game industry. I see it's it insane. As, I see it as a bunch of fifteen year olds who don't even remember the original Dreamcast who just latched onto it, and a bunch of people who can't let their pass go, a combo of the two. And the sad thing is, has had they kept their expectations mild, mm-hmm. Sega has not been afraid to license out their name. Onto hardware. No. They, starting with, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the Genesis 3 was a Majesco made product, product. It was. And it was officially right. licensed by Sega. I'm almost positive. If I'm wrong, whatever. Um, then they did the, uh, there was the first uh, Sega portable Sega Genesis handheld aftermarket one, but was officially yeah. licensed by Sega. Gave with it games. their blessing with yeah. games on it. Now there's the Sega that it seems like everyone who comes into my store owns that you can get it like Rite Aids and Targets. Yes. That has with- 80 games on it and a cartridge slot and controller ports. Yes. So had you played this cool and you had waited, you could have gotten something to what you were maybe looking yeah. for. The- a modern produced Dreamcast that isn't as loud as the old one, that came with wireless controllers, and maybe, just maybe, if you were freaking lucky, maybe some sort of internet connectivity, and maybe some sort of revitalized fan server. I think their best bet, which I think what they plan on doing, was why don't you make a PC with a drive that can read and play Dreamcast games, mm-hmm. get the Sega license for the name, and like you said, maybe they can do something to get old servers up, and, and worry about potential new games down the line, or maybe uh, depend upon the you know the pretty robust uh, homebrew uh, aftermarket Dreamcast the dream, developers. Yes, so people are still making games. Huge. So that's where you should have hedged your bets and say, okay, we're just going to pay Sega for whatever ten, twenty, thirty thousand to get the name on our on our our PC. We're basically going to put out, and then we'll proceed from there. And it sounds like though they just had probably pie in the sky fucking ideas oh, yeah. and didn't know how to act about it. Instead of having people who you know were constantly jerking off to the thought of the PS4 killer, you probably yeah. should have been realizing that no, what you can get is a you could have potentially had something cool here. Yeah, maybe Sega would have said, okay, we'll we'll uh, include. Uh, on the hard drive, we'll give you like six Dreamcast games that that will be included or with the PC Genesis or something like that. Or some Genesis games, honestly, because they've been doing that because they sure. had the Sega Smash Pack. Put the Se- Dreamcast yeah. Sega Smash Pack on there. Great, done. So, so they couldn't even get that far. So I don't know. I, I don't want to be too down because there probably were some people involved in this project that kind of knew what they were doing, and they're the ones that said, "What the fuck? We let these children in. Mm-hmm. We let these immature. They're probably only fifteen. They're probably people who are in their twenties." That were still just really immature about it, know what they're doing, or thirties. It just said, "Oh, sure. I'm going to be a part of this Sega Dreamcast Two project. That's great. Do you have any experience in business or or working with people or or or, or talking anything? talking to real companies about project development? Or are you just contributing hot air and dreams? Right. And I could see that. I mean. This doesn't need to go much longer, but I can no. see that more than anything derailing anything. It's just the people who actually want to do something just getting hit with these unreasonable expectations yeah. day after day, and then dealing with backlash when they are like, we can't implement. We're going to get Shenmue 3 on here as a launch title. Wait, hold on a second. Let's, hold the fuck let's up. back up a second. Hold the mayo, okay? Yeah. No. We're not. <laughs> we're not. Sonic Adventure 3, we're going to start developing it. What? <laughs> what? I'm afraid you don't have the rights to do that. <laughs> Ian, we have a scumbag. Scumbag. Seller?
Oh, the week. Week. We haven't done one of these in a while. Uh, this is someone trying to sell a clay fighter sculptor's cut for three hundred. It's at three fifty with three days left. Yeah. Open auction. As you're listening to this, it's seller Kent, as in Clark, five three five. You're our scumbag son of the week, Kent. So we got a nice seller here with a nice wall of stacked N64 games behind. And so, at first glance, oh, it's a sculptor's cut. Look at that. That's the that's the hardest to find N64 game. It goes for a decent amount of money. I was lucky enough to find mine for five bucks at the swap meet. So, but then you look at the, the description. Humble brag. <laughs> it's very humble brag. Up for auction is Clay Fighter Sculptor's Cut game for the Nintendo 64. Excuse me, the Nintendo N64 console. The game has no scuff marks. Cool. I wonder why. Sharpie writing or any tears on the front back labels. Excellent. Good so far. <clears throat> the front label is a replacement reproduction. Oh, okay. And the board inside <laughs> is a brand new reprinted reproduction board. The game itself has been tested and works great. No shit, because it's on a reprint. And blah, 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 blah. A, a reproduction board. Yes. This is from my personal collection. That you made. And would be great for any collector. All right. How many problems do I have with this listing in so few sentences? The fact that it's a reprinted reproduction board that who knows where they got it from or people maybe AliExpress they probably ordered a bunch of them right uh, it's a repro label the fact that none of that's stated in the auction title the fact that there's uh, idiots bidding I was this up say, to $350 my biggest problem is there are actually 23 bids on this but then again again you don't expect repros to be on eBay because they're not supposed to be allowed and people are taking advantage of it but all you have to do is uh, read two sentences into this yeah, people please no. read what you're bidding on no I've, I've gotten I've gotten burned out on repro stuff but I've gotten burned out on reading stuff totally worse at all maybe the manual has a rip here or oh, there oh me or too like that. and I and I uh, just suck it up but still like with something that's this expensive but this is what boils my bile. What? That'd be very painful. Mm-hmm. This is from my personal collection and would be great for any collector. Any real video game collector is not going to deal with counterfeit bootleg bullshit to begin with. Right. Which means that this, by personal collection, you mean this was in my house for a few moments before I realized <laughs> I'd been hosed. This is from my, Let me pass it on. Or I ordered this from AliExpress for 20 bucks and think that I can pass along some fucking rube for $400. That's more likely as from, from my personal collection. I, my, my question then is, though, like, why, why go into this detail when collecting is getting to the point where people know what they want? Here's a potentially real... Sculptor's Cut, right above it, with 33 bids for $276. Like, right above the description uh, I'm looking at. Oh, oh, oh really? If you, if, you, if you search for it? Yeah. No, like, right above it. Like, maybe it's just on my computer, but right above the description... Oh, the list of real ones. There's there's a listing for a real one, and I don't know when it ends, but it's only at 276 with 33 bids. This is 23 bids, and at 350 I mean, the red... The, 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 the blaring lights that people need to see here replacement reproduction label replacement reproduction board nothing about this is official so why i don't know maybe chill bidding it's just sad that now you're going to have people that even if they have an authentic one they're going to have to post the authentic board and like watermarker or put their you know write in sharpie on a piece of paper the you know the name of the uh the ebay seller in order to verify that it's real right that's, that's where we're at though yes I didn't look at Kent's other auctions, but now I will. Oh, take a quick stroll down that lane, please. Let me see what completed auctions are. Oh, he's got a Mario Party one. 
there was another sculptor, sculptor's cut that went for $300 at one bid. Was this the same copy? Was this a buy it now that, yep, I think someone bought this as a buy it now for 300 didn't realize it and said, fuck this, because this was relisted. And now it's open auction. And yeah, now it's more than the other one, which is at two, I think it's $230 US with like 12 hours left when we're recording this. All right, Kent. 535. I don't know where you got this from. I don't care where you got this from, but you're our scumbag seller of the week. I hope it stays in your personal collection for a long, long time, because it would be great there. Personal collection. Jesus Christ. Ian, when you were in school, did you like history? Yeah, well enough. U.S. history? I was bad with dates and stuff like that, but I always found history to be enjoyable, especially European history. Did you learn a lot about World War One? Yeah, we did. Do you remember anything about World War One that much? No. I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, 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 what I remember most about World War One was how it was such a transition war in terms of technology. That well, was kind of what interested me. What we learned was that, at least I was that, it was like a coin flip where the U.S. could have went with. We could have sided mm-hmm. with Germany or with Great Britain. Sure. If it wasn't for Woodrow Wilson being an Anglophile, we might have stayed out of the war entirely. And if we did that, you know, Germany might have won. It would have altered, obviously, the, the course of the 20th century because, obviously, uh, the result of... Uh, Germany having to pay for World War One, getting uh, after losing the war, having all of Europe say "fuck you, Germany," you have to pay for this and bankrupting them. That led to the rise, you know, uh, of the fascism right. and and Hitler and the nationalism of the 30s. That aside, not many people know about World War One, and that's what EA was afraid of originally <laughs> when greenlighting dice his Battlefield One. Because they weren't sure that younger people would even give a shit about World War One. Even fucking crazier, they weren't sure that modern young people would know what the Vietnam War was or World War Two. Well, that could be a maybe an attack on the bad U.S. sort of a educational system. I yes, guess. <laughs> which they, you know what they might be right about that. I, think they I, don't, might be. I don't know what they teach in school anymore. I have no idea. Uh, so the the CFO of EA. Uh, Blake Jorgensen said the following. I think what people don't understand about World War One is the technology shift that went on during the war. People started the war on horseback and ended the war with airplanes and tanks and battleships and submarines. So that's what always fascinated me about it. And that's it. a huge opportunity for us to be able to do a video game around. I think people underestimate uh, younger people's propensity for wanting to learn facts and, and really dive into history. Because when you were a kid, you always heard about, oh, history was boring to me. It wasn't to me because I had good history teachers. My dad was a history teacher. I I had to find it somewhat interesting. So for me, I had a teacher that taught us about ramifications and and how everything came together. Like why, the thinking of why things were happening, how how decisions in current times and events go back 20, 30 years and how everything builds up. It it wasn't just about learning. You don't just learn dates. Yeah, you have to know when stuff happens, but it's not just memorizing dates. Sure. Uh, World War One is fascinating. Like for one of the reasons you said, I brought up the reason why it wasn't a cut or dry. Well, Germany was evil. Germany wasn't as evil. They weren't like the big evil at the war in World War Two. It was a slam dunk. Right. People in the comments were going to argue about that, but at least how I learned it, it wasn't. There, there was some gray areas going on in that war, and it was a horrific war. Obviously, with uh, trench warfare, mustard gas, and everything else, fighting for you know a, a useless fifty feet of fucking uh, of of barren. Uh, field where yeah. you get machine gun trying to to pass over it for no good reason. Your you know? your entire, I mean, some of the biggest battlefields were the size of football fields and fought over for, Oops. ever, and mm-hmm. ever and ever. Um, 
but yeah, it, it was. And, and on top of that, they the the one of the I think one of the heads of the EA just didn't think that it could potentially be an interesting game, a trench warfare game would be interesting. And and, and it took it, t- it 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 took the the developers, the development team, to be like, look at how technology progresses. This game does not have to take place in the trenches the entire time. Mm-hmm. We can go all over the place with this game. We can introduce tanks and airplanes in at their at their earliest. Oh yeah, I think the most fascinating uh, part of World War One uh, is the use of aircraft mm-hmm. from uh, blimp uh, blimps and you know reconnaissance to uh, World War One dogfighting, which to me is extremely fascinating. Geez, we talked about it before, but like, if there's any mode in this that is act- remotely like like the old Red Baron games that Sierra did and whatnot. Yeah, Ace is always an Ace. What was it called? Ace is High, or whatever was it? Was a series? Well, called? no, literally the first one was, was Red called Baron. Red Baron. And they did other ones. That's yeah. right. They did other ones after that. And uh, shit, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, because that was truly you have to know how to fly little stunt crafts, and you're using pistols and shotguns and drop, literally dropping like grenades and bombs on the people. Yeah. Remember, the planes weren't really equipped. A lot of them weren't really equipped. The ones that were had rotary hand cannons on the front. That's you know? insane. Uh, yeah, it's nuts. That's like, you have to literally go up to the other pilot and, like, shoot him. Like, it's not like firing a missile today. Today, uh, air-to-air uh, combat is, like, you're miles and miles and miles away. Well, and there's always the talk about how, you know, they would keep a gun with one bullet in, you know, in there so that if they start to go down, you know... Just, oh, they just end it? Yeah, they just end it. Oh. But yeah, think, I mean, not yeah. that it, dying in an airplane crash would ever be great, but, I mean, you're basically surrounded by nothing in those airplanes. I mean, yeah, that's that's, like that's a, a that's a that's a horrific five to ten seconds to think about your life, and if you live, what happens afterwards? Feel longer than that, yeah. yeah. So and you get the Red Baron, who what do you think down eighteen planes or nineteen something like that? It was yeah, it was Red Baron and Blue Max. Those were the two people that they they always talked about. Blue Max is not just a character in Sky. Really, Game. I didn't know Blue Max was actually a pilot. I'm almost but, well. Let's look it up. Let's make sure I'm not. <laughs> let's make sure I'm not wrong here, because if I'm wrong, I'm going to laugh at myself so hard. <laughs> Uh, oh, poor la merite. Yeah, merite. Blue Max is real. Really? Uh, and that's that's uh, uh, I would I would argue, and I think I read it. It's, that's that's who Snoopy is supposed to be because he's always in the French countryside. Oh, okay, so he's not the Red Baron in this. Okay, no, Snoopy was never the Red Baron. He always fought the Red Baron. That's right. He's schooling me. Jesus like Christ. Um, but anyways, I'm glad that they got over the fact that maybe youngsters wouldn't know about this and uh, decided to take what is oddly, I feel odd saying it is, but they really are taking a risk with this oh. game, and I think it's going to be interesting. Far more of a risk than Call of Duty doing the future thing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to go back to the history thing for one second and how you said that, you know, I think you know kids, when presented with it in the right way, want to learn about the past. It's just like why I have 14-year-olds buy an Atari 2600. When you're interested in something or, or, or a game can present something to you interestingly or a movie, the curious kids out there are going to want to learn about it. It's not going to dissuade them. It's going to interest them, I think. So The Sims came out with an announcement. Ian. Yeah, they had been working on a patch for uh, about a year. And uh, it's a very simple thing, although I, uh, you know... There are people out there who think that uh, people different from them are, you know, might might come and eat their babies. Um, but this patch that they have just released eliminates all gender boundaries from Sims 4. So what that means is, uh, regardless of the gender you assign a character, um, all available 
costuming options, body builds, voices. Um, basically, every part of your customization can be used to create a character uh, exactly as you want it. So, I, so before you had clothes assigned to male or female. Yeah, well, or at least there was at least seven hundred items they, that said that you could not assign to certain certain characters depending on how you you built them. Um, now you can, and this is hugely important. Um, unlike, and I still think this was a ridiculous thing, but remember when we talked about Rust and people were pissed off about how you could be assigned a woman in a game that has always randomly assigned you shit? Well, in this, this isn't going to affect anyone who doesn't want to deal with it because they just don't have to make their character that way. Mm-hmm. But I think this is great for people um, who want to exist outside of uh, what is known as, I believe, the gender binary, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because now you literally can make a character that represents you. You can make characters that represent your friends. The Sims has always been about immersion. Every person I know who ever played The Sims recreated their workplace or their apartment situation. Um, Yeah, it's fun to just create a bunch of Sims and throw them in an area and see what happens, but now you have something that especially now as this sort of stuff becomes more forefront and more, um, more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, uh, it's, it's just the right move to make. It seems silly to me, even in the first place that a game about having fun would put restrictions on what you could do with your characters. Mm -hmm. But now in an era, especially where this is becoming so important and people are fighting for these rights and whatnot, I think it's very important that you just allow people to make what they want. People need to stop putting all these restrictions, I think, on uh, character creation and let people create the character they truly are or want to be or want to roleplay, whether it's The Sims or something else. Well, that's what I'm more going to focus on is that that a game that's supposed to be fully customizable should be fully customizable. Yes, exactly. That to me, it may not be, I may not be able, I may not want to create a character th- that that uh, looks or acts how I'd want to in real life, but I should have the option to create whatever I want anyway. Yes. I should have the option to create any wacky character with any, any different uh, combination of clothes or hairstyle, and it shouldn't be encumbered by a weird sort of uh, rule set that's in there. Right. I, I mean, I, hell, I, even the, the fucking... Uh, Jesus, I don't even... The, the, even the Fire Pro Wrestling games have that boundary? I forget if they had even that many boundaries for clothes. No, you could, put the, you could put a female head on a male body in Fire you could Pro. You could, all the clothes were interchangeable and in fire pro you could even which back that now it's it's becoming something that certain federations are messing with but you could even do male versus female matches in fire pro which you can't actually do in something like yeah. the wwe games i think fire pro may have had only certain tank tops that the body type changed i think but i don't remember i'm thinking of maybe the one for a playstation anyway what a, the, yeah. the, the point is is that uh, to me this could be about you know uh you can look at it as, as this this is good for uh, trans rights or representation or social uh, boundaries being removed, things like that, or, or people being more accepted. I, was looking, I just look at it as a, this is a smart move because this is how the game should be. It's, this it's, this it's is both. how the game should be. Uh, this, if you want, if you want to have a game or you want to simulate whatever you want on your terms, you should be able to, uh, and you should have the freedom to do what you want. Yeah. Um, so I don't think really no one should be complaining about this. No, and that, and that's my uh, thing. I, 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 you know that there are going to be people out there who complain. That's why I took that stupid shot at the beginning. But like, this is literally done in a way that if you don't want this to affect you, 
Sure, it does not yeah. have to You're, affect. You. you can play your single player games and never have to worry about so it. So stop saying that people are you know cur- you know uh, bowing down to the whims of the political left or whatever. No, this not only is good for the things that I discussed, but like Pat said, this is simply how fantasy games need to be made. Sure, character creation needs to be done with the rules off. Sure. Uh, so I have not played Sims since the original. Like, was that 13 years ago? <laughs> oh, God, I don't remember. I just remember I, my friend talking about how her creepy boss recreated the entire coffee shop they worked in and was constantly trying to marry her. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> All I remember was playing it for about... I played it for about a week. And then something has hit me where I just said to myself, what the fuck am I doing? And I stopped playing it and never played it again. I've never touched it. It seems like it would be uh, interesting, but I don't wh- think I'd stick with once, it either. Once I had to worry about taking out the garbage in my simulated house, I'm mm. like, this is mm. too much for me. I had a moment like that with Nintendogs. Uh, I, I had gotten in my DS right before I had moved. It's just a, you know, a thing for me to get before I moved so I could have something to do. And I bought Nintendogs with it just because it was early DS launch title. And I'm sitting there petting my fake dog like two weeks before I leave. Aww. And I look over and I see my real dog. And I went out and sold the fucking game. I was just like, this is, You're this is awful. I said, no. I'm I no. I'm spending time with my real dog. I haven't spent time with my kitty cat Kellogg in so long. <laughs> on, my, on my DS Lite. <laughs> I wonder how Kellogg's doing. I don't know. So did anyone think it was a good idea for them to bring back Rock Band or Guitar Hero? Because um, I think at least Pat and I probably could have called that as uh, a dead end at some point very I, quickly. I was shocked when they started after, you know, it was big for like what, like three, four years? Uh, what, from 2006 to 2010? About, sure, I'm sure. I'm not going to quote once, with you on that. And, yeah. then, and then, then once they started coming up, here's the Beatles expansion pack. It's like, oh, the end is near. Because now the only reason people are going to buy these is to say, oh, I want to see what Aerosmith songs I can play. Oh. You, know, you know, like that's what I, even I could tell was the beginning of the end. Yeah. I always had a problem. People can get on me. I thought it was such a fad that I, I, I mean, I could predict it. You know, slowly dying before it did. I mean, you probably saw it in the store when the interest more and more and more and more instruments are in the corner of your store that people are, can't sell or give away where you're like alright we'll just give away the drum set to someone people still excitedly fucking scoop those up though sure I mean, it's I free. mean you've got your ten people in San Diego who still <laughs> love getting together for rock well, band what I mean Sunday. though is like when I went to digital press at NAVA meetups oh, yeah. in New Jersey uh, it got to a point where I, I hate to say it, I didn't want to go to them because they became karaoke nights yeah. where people were just playing and singing Rock band stuff and guitar heroes. I'm like, what the fuck is it? This is this this is the focus of this video game meetup. I, I sound like an old person saying that, but I, to me, it was it was just like, whoa, this is something else now. I'm less harsh on them because I love music games. I love rhythm based games, but I like the ones that are more abstract. Even Beat Mania, which has a quote unquote turntable on one side of it, is still really a game about pressing buttons to a rhythm, and sure. I like it and following a very fast pattern. Um, I have no problem with music games, but. Just because there was an uptick in popularity uh, a year before they relaunched it did not mean that they needed to roll out whole new kits for PS4 and Xbox One, and they didn't need to do this weird pay-to-play jukebox version of Guitar Hero called Guitar Hero Live. Um, where you could like you know pick from random songs that would show up, or you could pay money to like a jukebox to play the songs that you want. You know, pay money to play the well, you, song. You could. You That's insane. Yeah, I mean, if, sometimes. Uh, I mean, like I think it was like there was a rotating set list, or you could pay to play the songs that you wanted to. Um, That's fucking insane. So, anyways, back to why this is a topic. Um, this decision is fucking up 
Mad Cat's huge, and this is on the rock band side of things. Our and local third party accessory and it's manufacturer always going to be harder for rock band because it's not just a guitar like Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero Live went back to just a guitar, if I remember correctly, which was the the smart thing to do if you're going to reboot it. You get rid of all the microphones and the fucking plastic drum sets and all that shit. And here's the problem. Citing rock band for related challenges, Mad Cats has suffered an $11.6 million loss in their fiscal year which is down from a $4.7 million profit from their okay. last fiscal year. So let's remind that Mad Cat just makes like third-party accessories well, and controllers. Well, they've right? gotten... They have got... They have actually... They used to be associated with broken crap. They now have a certain level of respect because they make... They put out the, the fight sticks that the tournament fighting game Hey, they made, they made my wireless accessory that I used, I used to use for my, uh, my Wii. So, yeah. I, I mean, they, ha- they do put out some decent stuff these days. But still... They are a third-party uh, company for the most part. Um, so not only is it down from a... This is eleven six million loss, down from $4.7 million profit, but even more insane, Mad Cats has $8.3 million worth of Rock Band inventory that they have to sell off by September 6th. This means that after the date, they will no longer hold the license and cannot sell the stock. So they could potentially the for rock band. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so they could potentially lose another eight point three million Holy on this. Shit. Now this was reported by Destructoid. Um, the well, company is somehow managing to stay positive. Uh, re- significant restructuring program, which means it's going to save shave six to seven million annually. There's nothing positive about this. Restructuring this means, means layoffs. These, this means people are going to lose their jobs yes. because they went whole hog into a fad that, in an even more niche fad way, sparked back up for like six months. Well, Harmonics, uh, they have a deal with PDP, which is a competitor to Mad Cats. Yes, so Pe- it was once Pelican. Uh, oh yeah, Pelican accessories. So that means that either way, yeah, they're going to go forward with them because maybe they don't have any confidence in Mad Cats. Because of maybe, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe because they realize that they uh, the quality, of, maybe the quality of, of the accessories, or they, they made way, way too much of it, and now it's a glitter. Either way, uh, yeah, Mad Cats is screwed. Yeah. They're absolutely screwed. They have all this inventory they're not going to be able to sell. They can blow it out and take a loss. No one has ever called me for Rock Band 4. No one. And you have that much of it to move? What you have not moved is sitting there like cement. It's not going anywhere. And they got to lay off a bunch of people. Or they already did. Like, I'm surprised they haven't called us and been like, hey, do you want, like, a couple thousand dollars worth of rock band stuff in case this gets popular again? Well, is that $8.3 million? Is That's the retail price or the actual, like, cost of it? That's I'm, what's I mean, I don't know. They don't even, but even if, it, if it's $8.3 million, that stuff probably costs you a good million or two at least. Sure. You'd think. Oh, I, I, they were nice to me when I called up and I bought my little wireless accessory off eBay they actually walked me well, through like setting said, it up They're I nice. really like what they've done with the arcade sticks they've they've made they've they turned arcade sticks into junky accessories and made them into high end pieces uh, high end controllers that people can rely on for years so it's it's sad in it's, a way I don't I don't wish them any ill will but man no. that was a bad boat to jump on uh, absolutely and of course probably the, the idiots who made the decision uh, the ones who should be fired the ones who made the decision uh, they, they'll probably keep their jobs, and then the lower level employees get laid off. Mm-hmm. Of course, because they got to deal with. Uh, hey, let's get. Remember that fad that died up four years ago in gaming? Five years ago, we'll just jump into it and make it like our the main focus of our business. That's we'll, smart. We'll jump into it twice as hard. Jesus, so this was interesting. I had not heard of this. 
and uh, this isn't brand new, but since I just heard of it, it was brought to my attention, about a Beavis and Butthead uh, prototype arcade game uh, from Atari that came mm-hmm. out in the late 90s, or was good, planned to be in the late 90s. Uh, this was going to be a beat-em-up, uh, and Galloping Ghosts, which, which uh, I think you, you've been there? Yeah, uh, Galloping Ghosts is just outside of Chicago. One of, the more, one of the most famous arcades in the U.S. Yes, they have uh, hundreds and hundreds of games, um, many of which are very, very rare or uh, or basically one of a kind. They have uh, one of two known Primal Rage 2 uh, prototype boards, and you can go and fucking play it. Ooh. Um, they are the type of place that uh, will, like, with the blessing of the company, make a Mortal Kombat 10 arcade machine, even though there wasn't one, so that tournament players can play it on an actual arcade machine. Um, they're, I think, at this point, the only place in the U.S. that has the uh, F-Zero arcade game with the moving cockpit. Whoa, I don't think I've ever seen that I, before. I played it, and it's fun, as, it's fun as hell, just to say you did it once. So they, got, they acquired this, uh, I think they only made about 15 of these. Uh, arcade units. This one is number nine on the back of it. I think MTV has one. I'm not sure where the other ones are. It was 1996. Uh, it's it's built on 3DO hardware, so it's basically a 3DO game. Excuse me, it's nine of twelve. They made twelve of these. It's a beat up. When you first look at it, it, it sort of looks like, I guess the closest comparison would be like a Simpsons arcade beat yeah, up. Sure, but it's drawn in the same style. The same, the same way Simpsons is drawn in the same style. This is drawn in Beavis and Butthead style. Um, looks like there's some mini games in there. The YouTube video of it is is pretty badly shot, but I think Galloping Ghost is going to put out their own gameplay and, and full playthrough of it, which would be great. Uh, but it looks like it was mostly completed, which is interesting. Uh, there's one stage they show where you actually, to beat them up, but you actually go vertically up uh, with uh, Beavis there, which is interesting. Uh, so it looks like they're trying to do something a little bit different here. There's you know there's kicks there's looks like there's kicks there's weapons there's like little bats with a ball bats it look like and yeah you can walk up and walk left and right. It always makes me wonder what other like shows might have had games in development that never saw the light of day. It's interesting it never came out, but I could I figure that well to the 3DO hardware would set the world on fire. But once you got the '96, that's when arcades really started to mellow out a bit. It's true, and and I think it's actually more to what you basically just touched on. I think it had more to do with. The property would have been fine, and I think it would have made money yeah. for the people who would have done it because that was right at the. I mean, if we're talking ninety six, that was the height. Yeah. Um, I think this has far more to do with Atari than it has to do with with anyone else. That apparently Atari else. didn't want to want to back out of the arcade or they just, business. Yeah, they just didn't have the cash to dump into this anymore. Wonder if this could. I wonder if this would be able to run on a somehow get the software running on a regular three DO. That'd be interesting. Three DO. Well, if it's 3 based hardware, oh, I guess I'm it sorry, I'm sorry, yes. Okay, sure. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I don't know if this is a ROM board or like a disc. Probably like, a ROM board. But a ROM board that uses, somehow just uses a 3DO uh, processor. That's possible. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, so check out the... Uh, there's a YouTube video. I'll, I'll link to it. Um, there's about 23 minutes. There's characters from the show here. Beavis has a whip here. Um, there's, a, there's like a bonus stage. It's an interesting bonus stage here where the, they get on... Um, Beavis and Butthead. The, the animation's fantastic, by the way. It's like directly from the cartoon. I want a bonus stage where they tried to buy nachos with counterfeit money because I think that was... Did you ever watch any Beavis and Butthead? I do, but I don't remember much of okay. it. Okay, I, I, did, I didn't care for it a ton as a kid, but there were certain aspects of it that were hilarious. And there was one episode where they really wanted nachos, so they... Um, they photocopied dollar bills and then cut them poorly out of construction paper. But what made the joke hilarious was they're trying to pay for the nachos with this fake money. And the guy's like, and 
like Beavis or Butthead's like, how much did you say? And it was like two twenty five. So they pull a photocopied quarter out and try to All right, that's pretty. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, yeah, Beavis Butthead doesn't get much credit. It was actually pretty clever. Yeah, people get on. Oh, it was sort of like this toilet humor. It really wasn't. It was. It was more clever than you give it credit for. It Mike, I think everything. Uh, and actually, I'm not a massive Office Space fan, but. Between Daria, King of the Hill, and... Uh, well, Daria didn't have a whole... Did Daria have a whole lot to do with Mike Judge? I mean, it's a character from Beavis and Butthead, but... I don't think he had much to do with that. Anyways, between Beavis and Butthead and, and, and King of the Hill, while well, neither of them are my oh, favorites... King of the Hill was brilliant. I, they're not oh. my favorites, but I mean, I, I I look at King of the Hill and I go, this is this was good. It, so underrated. It was on the air for like 10 years. It won Emmys for yeah. this animated series. No, it's like no, no one, one watched, watched it, it until five years ago. Yeah. Oh, Bobby. What are you doing, Bobby? There's some milk in the fridge that's about to go bad. I used to do a pretty good Beavis in, in high school. My voice, I can't do it anymore, probably. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, nope, that just sounded like I a can't dead cat. I, my, my voice had more more uh, length to it, I guess, in high school. Onward. <laughs> fuck, fuck I'm talking about. This, we called this. I'm fairly certain I either called this being the case if we were to actually try it. Uh, I think we talked about this. But this is great. Oh, I thought you were going to start the segment. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I mean right. okay, so... On Nintendo Life, uh, an article was made based upon a YouTube video about a user uh, who had a graded uh, Zelda II uh, classic uh, Game Boy, NES classic series on Game Boy Advance. They put out a series, uh, it was about 14 games they did, like Ice Climber, mm-hmm. Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario... Uh, no, those were different. Just, but they did Super Mario Metroid, Brothers, they did Zelda, Castlevania, Metroid, uh, Blue Fight was it, was Xevious, it? for whatever reason. Yeah, there was there was a lot of there was about yeah, about ten to fifteen. Donkey Kong was one. Mm-hmm. So he got this graded sealed. <laughs> and it was graded uh a UK grading company called UK Graders. Oh, this was UK? I thought I thought this might have been I know that I mentioned I didn't know if this was UK or VGA. It's UK Graders, which I guess okay. is the the European equivalent of the BGA. Video Game Authority. Mm-hmm. So it was graded originally a 75, which I have no idea what that means. 75 plus. 75 plus. Better than 75, I guess, negative or minus. So he takes a Dremel bit to the case and then pries it open in the bottom, carefully takes the game out. This is on YouTube, this user. Sends it back in to get graded. It comes back in 85. So it actually comes back as a better grade. Which isn't shocking, being that there isn't a really transparent process to how this shit is graded in the first place. Right. Whether, how, how much of the weight is put on the cellophane being clear versus the damage on the box, what's the percentage there, is, do two or three little rips give it, like, go from a 90 to an 85? When, when, when you grade a comic book from .5 to 10, there are definitions on, on each of those. And while there is subjective nature to it along the way, there's at least a definition saying, it, this is a .5, this is a 1, this is a 1.5, this is a 2. It has also historically been going on for so long that yes. the people who are trained into it, they learn from people who have done it before. And I know, I'm sure that there are going to be people who will be, well, every, everyone's got to start somewhere. Except for the fact that this has always seemed like a money grab, whereas comic book grading and preservation was, at one point in time, especially before scanners and computers, an incredibly important thing if you wanted to keep these issues around. So, I, whereas there is a very fine set of rules, and mm-hmm. it's been tested, while discrepancies can occur, um, even my wife has said, lots of times when people have tried to pull this with comic books... 
as long as it's taken out of the thing perfectly, it doesn't come back lower or higher. It comes back the same grade. Sure. Uh, and, and plus, like you said, it's been around for a lot a lot longer. I want to say 30 years at least, grading comics. I want to say 30 to 40, but 30 at least, um, yes. And there's a lot more at stake. There, And there's people been collecting comics for 50 years, 60 years. But the other problem is with this is that this is CGA, at least in the U.S. The CGA does the, the action figures. Right. Uh, and they do uh, also the video games. Um, the guys on record, the CGA guy, they actually visited the office. It was like this like local uh, business sort of like walkthrough thing. And the, the guy running it on record said, uh, at least for the toys, said, one of the reasons to get this graded, get your stuff graded, is that it increases the value. He says it point blank. Search for that video on YouTube. I'm not making this up. He says it increases the value. Obviously, that's bullshit because it doesn't. No, it may appear to increase the value. The only thing that increases the value to me is that it's adding an acrylic case. So, so that means it increases the value. What's the value of the acrylic case? Twenty five dollars or forty bucks for a video game or whatever it is. That's the increase in value. So again, it's. I'm not shocked that. <laughs> you'd come back a different grade because no one even knows who does the grading. It's not transparent. Like, who are the experts that do the grading? Who are the experts that, when they bring in a prototype to get verified, who are the people verifying the prototypes? I, to me, I think it's fairly easy to look at comic book grading and uh, even baseball card or whatever, sure. sports card grading, and look at it as something that, while occasionally I might be like, mm, or have thoughts on it, it is a valid. There is a valid argument to be made there for game preservation. You're not convincing me that this is valid game preservation. Valid game preservation is dumping and storing of ROMs and ensuring the games and the code and the data are around for all future generations. Because it's media. Be able, because it's media. Comic books is not a media that is different from the physical object or baseball cards. Right. Um, so I find this, I, I find, that's why I, I find it highly, I, I, that, this is why I can make a distinction between comic book and card grading and video game grading is one is a cash grab that, I mean, almost, it, it just, it, I mean, it just seems like the sleaziest scheme in the world to artificially inflate the price of your stuff to sell to other idiots who feel like it actually ha- adds worth to it. Um, while filling the pockets of these people who came up with the genius idea of slapping a random fucking number on your game that can change at any time, uh, upwards even, uh, and putting it in an acrylic case. The other reason why it's a cash grab is that for comic books and baseball cards, you are the the individual grades define the value, and you don't want to be screwed when you're buying a combo. Especially when you're buying a combo, you also have to get it graded to make sure uh, there was any restoration done. Because a restored comic is worth far less than even a damaged comic book. That's the reason why. But when you get graded a video game, 99% of the time, it's for a sealed brand new game. Right. So then what does that grade actually mean? It's new either way, quote-unquote new. It's just now you're just grading the variation of the how newness. new is it. That doesn't make any sense to no. me. It just doesn't. Obviously, if you want to buy a sealed video game, yes, there could be differences in value, but it's not like you're grading, okay, that Deathbots is a 2.5 versus a 5.0 or 7. It's not going to affect the value as much as a comic book worth $50,000. And then having to know exactly, is that a 3.5 or a 4.5 or 4? And but, I also feel if you're buying a new sealed game, it's enough to put it into a protective acrylic case without mm-hmm. the grading. 
I think the smart collectors, the smart sealed collectors, aren't going to be fooled or swayed by a grade. They're going to be like, oh, you've got a sealed bubble bobble, okay, and you're taking care of it, and I like this condition. We're going to work out a deal on our own, and they're going to be fine. They don't care about a fucking number and a sticker. Yeah, and plus you can't take it out of that fucking case. Whereas, easily. whereas if you have a comic book, the more you open it, the more you use it. If you just put a comic book in a case, and you're trying to sell it to someone, and they want to know what the true condition is, you got to let them look at it, or you send it to an authority that can go, okay, there's no restoration, the pages are off-white or white or whatever, you know, grading they want to give it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they provide a little snippet of historical, you know, wraparound cover, first appearance, blah, blah, blah. And you know exactly what you're getting, and you know what condition you're getting it in. You can look at a sealed video game and assess well enough on your own whether or not that's the condition you want it in because you know what's inside the damn thing. Yeah, you don't, you can't flip through it. Right. Like a, a comic book to make sure, okay, it's missing the, the, the poster or there's a rip on page 14. Yeah. Which is funny because speaking with uh, someone from, uh, I won't say any website association, uh, might have, this is, of course, a ledge. I don't know this information personally, so this is a ledge. A ledge. That there was a resealed game sent into uh, the video game uh, graders, and they didn't catch that it was a reseal and it came back. Oh, I'd heard grade. this too, yes. I'm sure that's happened more than once as a test. It's just not publicized. Yeah. Because I'm not saying I don't want to I don't want to put a downer on the sealed game market, the graded market, but be careful out there. That's all I'm gonna say. So this is uh this is beautiful. I live for stories like this. Um we live in a world where uh people hide behind their computers and troll and act like jerks and just want to make people's lives miserable. And if there's one thing that Pat and I have blatantly made clear, especially in recent podcasts, it's that we don't like it when people try to make other people's lives miserable on purpose. And there was a person on Twitch who go went by the name iNexus underscore ninja, who was a Twitch troll. And now on Twitch... If you're a streamer, you can receive tips and donations from your viewers. Mm-hmm. That's how a lot of people make spare income. Some people even make all their income doing this. And a lot of them rely on these these tips. Now, iNexus Ninja had been going around and giving sums of money uh, ranging anywhere from 1000 all the way up to $5,000 to various streamers uh, to the tune of about $50,000 total. Now, what our little buddy here wanted to do, apparently he's 18 years old, uh, must have come from a very, very rich upbringing. What he wanted to do was make everyone excited that they were going to get a big tip, and then he was going to take the money away like a fucking pussy dickwad. Yeah, so what happens on these streams, if you ever watch these, and there's videos of, of most of these... You're seeing the reaction. You see that these go through, and usually there's like a message that pops up. It's automated, and you you can see some are male, some are female. They're like, "Oh my god!" Or oh, "Can you believe that?" And it stops the stream, so it gets a lot of attention. So this is just isn't just something that's not seen. This is something that everyone sees it. And if these are popular uh, streamers, these are a thousand people watching or more, or hundreds of people that are seeing this person. Like, could, could be to them a life changing money or money that can yep. really help them out. 
And and that's and that's the sick thing about this is these people want want to see these people get excited and get happy over get, getting something. You know you don't know what's going through these people's minds not to get too sappy, but what if they've got bills and they're like, oh well, shit, that takes care of that, or that's going to pay my taxes, or this or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these sick fucks do this, and then they uh, you know they try to reverse it at the end of the month. Well, PayPal PayPal said nope. Mm-mm. No, you donated this, and uh, we're not giving it back to you. So um, fuck yourself, and uh, hope you learned yourself a hard lesson. And that's fantastic. I mean, that just made my day. This was actually a recent story we put up on our little uh, our topic sheet where we discussed what we're going to go over, and I was just so happy to read about this. Um, and... You know, little guys probably can go cry off to mom and dad, but nothing's going to... It's unlikely anything's going to happen. Because um, he tried to do, I believe, like the, the equivalent of a chargeback on PayPal, and they're like, no. Now, if it's a credit card, he could, but it's very unlikely that anyone has their PayPal account linked to a credit card. Most people, from what I understand, have their... Uh, PayPal accounts linked to a bank account because that's the easiest way to transfer money from your PayPal account into your bank account. Well, you can it, do it, either. You can, but it makes the most sense, I think, for most people to do it. So I mind linked. I, 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 I would love to think that this is the end of the story and these people get to keep the money and he doesn't do a chargeback yeah. or whatever he's it's an, called. He's an idiot for not using a credit card because a credit card, you always have your credit card company that you can uh, contest it. Right. And at least get the funds delayed. Uh, this is just idiocy if he just thought he'd go to PayPal and get him back automatically. Yeah, this is PayPal through a bank account. He's not seeing a cent of this ever again. And well, that's the case. Congrats on yeah, the Twitchers. He's a, he's a fucking the idiot. Twitchers? What are they called? Streamers. Streamers. <laughs> okay. Streamers, not the X-52 game, which I love. That's just the name of them. What an, what an, what an absolute... Yeah. Uh, it, maybe it, it would make more sense if... I don't understand any 18-year-old had $50,000 in his account. He would just even risk blowing like this. It had, I think it had to have been a credit card that he somehow got a hold of. That would make more sense to me, at least. Uh, according, to the, according to this article, it, the 18-year-old appears to have a very casual attitude towards spending thousands of dollars. But how does an 18-year-old have a credit card with a $50,000 limit? Through his parents. The parents can get it for him here. Well, and, but they could also give him the money then. Too. I mean, who oh, yeah, knows? Either way. I, I just, I'm glad that, at the very least, I hope that these, these streamers get to keep their money. And either way, it's very nice to see PayPal take the stand that they did and say... Eat it. Too bad you couldn't try that with the Ennius Marathon. Everybody could. <laughs> this one went to a good cause, losing the $50,000. Ah, well. So this this uh, H3H3 did a video about... this. There's this channel with this guy named Bold Guy, which is like... I don't know if he's one of those, like, quote-unquote, pickup artists, or just likes doing videos that he's pretending he is. I watched one video, and I didn't get sick to my stomach, but it was just like... Just kind of cringy, and it was like this guy. The video I saw, because I had to do the research, was this guy looking at this like girl stretching, who was like a free runner, and then he's trying to pick her up with these like and try to be like aggressive and try all these pickup artist stuff. Then he's chasing her in this free running thing, and then and then he ends up making out with her at the end or kissing. It was just really bad. And half of this is me watching it, just thinking, did this guy just want to make out with the girl on camera and hire? Which is funny because I've had made out with girls on my videos, but. I didn't pay money. Anyway, so the whole point is that H3H3 did did a uh, quote-unquote like review of these videos, and H3H3 Productions has their own way of, you know, they take shots. And yes. 
So, which is fine. However, he got sued for copyright infringement by the person that owned owned this channel. And it could be uh, copyright infringement. You actually go to court. We're talking, you know, we're talking five, six figures. So this is another question of what's fair use here. What's fair use? And then not just that, they wanted a payoff. Or, oh, yeah, we'll just take some thousands if, uh, if if, you know, it won't go away. And so A3A Street, to their credit, manned up and said, uh, no, we can't do that because then that would give you free reign to do this with other channels. Or, or okay, okay, what's the risk? You want to come in just for, and get 100000 out of us for, through an extensive, uh, lengthy and and lawsuit that could drain our funds? Or we'll just give you 5000 and go away. They didn't want to open Pandora's box to that. Right. And rightfully so. Because that could be bad news, not just to them. But for any other uh, trolls that could, you know, like, like we talked about patent trolls in the, in the yes. past, same sort of thing. This could be copyright trolls that could. So what they did was they put out a video saying we're being sued, and and they didn't ask for uh, any funds. We just said this is just what what it's going to be. So a good old uh, Philip DeFranco, who does you know he he recaps news and YouTube stuff going on. And to my to my credit, I remember watching Philip DeFranco in the past, not not being that impressed. But from what I've watched in the past year. It seems like he's been doing a lot better work. To your credit or to his credit? To his credit. Well, I guess to both okay, our credit. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, I've turned around on him, but he's oh, also, okay. I think, I matured and has done better work calling out stuff, whether it's the social stuff, getting into politics a little bit, uh, not being afraid to call out uh, YouTube, uh, quote-unquote drama, not being afraid to, to, to call YouTubers uh, bad behavior going on, not not trying to hedge bets, right. and being honest about it. So he put out a GoFundMe for defensive H3H3, and it reached $100,000 in like a day or two. Holy crap. And so the good news about this is that H3H3 Productions aren't even sure they are going to need all the funds to contest this. They might. So what they decided to do was have uh, Philip DeFranco is going to turn the funds over. It's at 168000 right now. I should give something. Even if it's 50 bucks. I should give something. Uh, because what is happening now is this is being set up as a general fund fund for YouTuber copyright defense against trolls or anyone going after them, Um, which is a great idea. Absolute great idea. So there's a couple of of copyright lawyers that uh, at first were giving free advice to uh, YouTubers and H3H3 called, uh, uh, let's see, it was Ryan Morrison and uh, Michael Lee. So what's going to happen is uh, due to this fun being around, uh, which they're naming uh, FUPA, uh, which is a funny name, mm-hmm. um, they, but it is an, an anagram. Uh, anagram? Is that right? Yeah. Acronym. Acronym. Not an anagram. Uh, the money's going to be useful cause, because then if these guys have to take on a case or have to give up their time, they at least can be compensated as lawyers for valuable time to be put, put into cases like this. Uh, oh, by the way, the the, the the YouTuber suing them is called Matt Haas Zone. They're the ones suing H3H3 Productions. So the estimate originally to defend was 100000 Philip DeFranco began with a generous $5,000 donation. Other big YouTubers, uh, even even um, Fine Brothers donated money, which is, well, it's, it's good to do that. It's also good PR, but it's also good to use. I'm not going to be totally cynical. Yeah, it's, it's no, good it's, because if it's a collective fund, it's good for a few reasons. It's good because now, yes... Uh, th- what they're going to do is um, uh, these two uh, lawyers. Uh, you can contact them uh, via Twitter, uh, Twitter or email, 
And they want the people with the problems to directly contact it. They don't want people to say, oh, these guys are having problems. They want the people directly to contact them. They're going to review it, and then if they feel like you have a case, they'll be able to at least go to bat for you. Even even having representation responding to an email, it, that could stop it right there. Sure. If someone comes after you with their own lawyer saying, oh, I have a retainer, or I have lawyers, oh, you're not going to fight back, you're going to roll over. Thank well, you. what if I have lawyers respond to your lawyer? Are you going to now uh, nut up and then go through extra costs of going through right, A lot of this is intimidation, hoping that the people that they're going to threaten um, are going to not know what to do and are going to get scared. Yeah, and this is now anti-intimidation because now if someone realizes a fund like this exists and if this fund grows to a million or two million, and obviously there has to be care to make sure the funds stay with the right yes. people. Um what this can do is have, uh, which I, which Google had, but Google probably would never do that, a, a fund set aside so that anyone comes after any even, I'd say, moderately, or hell, even a small YouTuber now could potentially use this this funding and be like, well, now you got to deal with this fund that's there. Because that's there. now you know that you come after me, if I have even a s- slight case, I now have financial backing. If someone came after me and you... We can say, okay, maybe maybe our case isn't open and shut, but now at least we have an avenue of at least moving towards some sort of uh, protection, right. which is what this is here. And it's at 168000 right now, and this, I think, is only going to grow because this is going to be, a, I think, a blanket protection. Not, I don't want to say union, uh, sort of a YouTuber union, but at least it's something there that's tangible. I that see a lot. I, I could see a lot of people donating to this a lot. I could see it growing a lot. And what's interesting about it is, well, it's not going to get a lot of people shaking hands necessarily. I could see people from various sides of various fences donating towards this because it's a yeah. good, it's a solid uh, cause. A uh, leafy who had a feud with H3H3 a month or two back, where they went after each other, pretty vitriolic. He even donated money. So I think any big YouTuber out there that is making. We're talking ones are making five hundred thousand a million a year. Yeah, kick in some few thousand bucks. Why not if you can afford it? Yep. You know, and then it'll just grow and grow. And hell, maybe they'll even do fundraisers for something. Like, I can picture them doing fundraisers for, for YouTubers coming together uh, and, and do. I don't see their Google or YouTube ever sponsoring, but you get some bigger YouTubers saying, "Hey, let's get a weekend. Let's do something with a marathon or something." And I can see this ballooning up. And I said, as long as it's as long as the money is used properly and there's some oversight to it, you got to trust that this is going to be used correctly. I can see only good things happening with with this fund. Is this a second scumbag seller of the week? Week. Two? Week. Two? And boy. Boy, howdy. Who is who who is this scumbag seller of the week? It's it's none other than our favorite greasy shit stained hellspawn, Mike Kennedy. <laughs> what? That was that was, a, I, that was a pretty over the top Ed Hyman. No, Hyman, don't really dude. care at this point. He's a fuck. All right, he wants to explain what happened here. Then. Okay, so good guy Willie. I remember Willie. Uh, so, so um, Mike Kennedy, uh, who just exudes vomit from every pore, um, was responsible for the retro VGS and Coleco Chameleon. Um, Debacle? Debacles. Um, you don't want to use the debacle too much, but it was a total debacle. No, it was a it was a train wreck, um, and he had some friends who, despite admitting that what was going on seemed a little fishy, wanted to stand by their buddy because they remember the good days with Mike yeah. Kennedy, um, and you know they wanted to believe that their their friend um, wasn't 
behind perpetrating some of this fucking stupidest, most shady attempts at, you know, fundraising money for a video game console ever. So one of the guys' name is Willie, and uh, he stood by him, and uh, what which podcast does he... Is, uh, he's, buddy, he's buddies with the guys from... Um, uh, the pot with uh, there's there was well he did he did a podcast, he did the podcast with it Mike. was this like ColecoVision uh, podcast. oh that's right okay sure I, I'm not sure I think I think uh, Gamestar was on the podcast as as well at one point I'm not sure if the podcast was uh, mainly to to go over retro VGS stuff or also ColecoVision stuff or a combination I have no idea but they did the podcast together so I'm not sure if that's the reason why but Willie to his credit or not sticking by Mike. Uh, was pretty neutral on the whole retro VGS clickle chameleon thing, even when it turned sour, even when it started to look like this might not be something that you'd want to get into. Uh, Willie uh, didn't want to throw his friend under the bus directly. Sure. So what happened here was that, uh, and Willie put out a video, and the one of the only reasons I'm bringing this up is because Willie uh, called out the podcast. Yeah. And said, and Willie, you don't have to feel bad about anything, Willie. No, you don't. You, you're, you're trying to be a good person and stick up for your friend. Can I also say, Willie, yeah. you apologized for ranting like three times, yeah. and that was the kindest rant I've ever seen. So so, so what's this is what Willie did. So Willie uh, basically gave or loaned Mike Kennedy a couple of repaired Coleco tabletop arcade games. Looked like there was, what, a Miss Pac-Man, a Galaxian. Uh, was there another one here? A Frogger. A Frogger. So these were these were board repairs that Willie had to do. He had to uh, solder jumpers uh, and basically patch these boards together to make them work. Yeah, he's, somehow they were damaged. He stated that these were very damaged, and he wanted to send them to Mike so that people could play them and check them out when Mike was at a conference or something like that. I believe just to have around uh, to use. Oh, just to, oh, because he was going to review them. He was going to yeah, review or, them, or just to have them to bring to yeah, shows right. or whatever yeah. for display. These weren't these. This you you wouldn't want this as like your personal collection to use hours and hours because they because he, the soldering could go at any moment. Willie said they could have broken at any time. It, it was like a a patch job basically, so, a good patch job, but a patch job. So the whole story was that Willie did this out of the kindness of his own heart, puts these uh these these uh, fixes these boards um and sends these off to his buddy Mike, and basically says, look man, uh just don't sell them. Okay, please don't sell them. They're not in any position. They're not in any condition to be sold. And I would like them returned when when you're done with them, if you decide you're done with them. So, you know, instead of selling them, please don't. So in between um, prodding people in the vats of oil with a pitchfork dressed as Satan, um, (laughs) Mike Kennedy actually decided to sell these off. But not only did he sell them off, he sold them as restored like new. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, blatantly uh, fucked over his friend and did exactly what his friend, who was just trying to help him out, uh, asked him not to. And this was after a lot of silence, I believe was what Willie said. And then he still helped his friend out. And then he fucked his friend over. And um, when Willie finally got a hold of him about selling these, these, these little Coleco mini arcade cabs... Uh, Mike Kennedy's gross, disgusting, um, feces-filled response was, uh, I'm going to send you all the money that I made off of these. And Willie, 
apparently a great guy. I'd, I'd buy him a sandwich. I'd, I'd buy Willie a sandwich in a heartbeat. Was like, no, dude, I don't want your fucking dirty money. I want you to refund these people, get the machines back, and send them back to me. Because he wasn't being honest about. Yeah, about because he wasn't being honest. And he's like, I want to. He's like, I want you to refund the money. I want them back so that I can at least take them to trade shows and show people these fun little curiosities from the past that are getting more and more expensive. And Mike, Mike didn't do it. And, and there's been nothing but radio silence since. What what is uh Mike's eBay name? Do I, do we have that here? I don't. I don't think I do. But but uh he has got Willie did get a hold of people on Atari Age, and I did not get a chance to read this Atari Age thread yet, which is a shame because I love those guys. We love them. We'd buy them all sandwiches. Um, they uh he did contact them because they have developed uh they've developed a reputation as uh, a group of super sleuths who oh. run around at night and you know capes and cowls and they figure they get to the bottom of this bullshit and they're currently trying to find the buyers so that they can be like hey this guy lied to you request a refund get your uh, refund send it. your product back I found that let's be totally let's be totally honest about what the description is let's not let's be accurate okay. here it, the one I saw was listed as used. Uh, yes, what, they were listed as used. Okay, let's see what they went for here. All right, so besides selling a bunch of TurboGrafx-16 stuff, let's see. You have a Ms. Pac-Man electronic tabletop game. You have a Donkey Kong electronic tabletop game. And you have a, uh, you have a Galaxian. The, okay. And the label tearing is exactly the same. Oh, they're the exact ones. Yeah. There's no denying you're the exact ones. Uh, the the account is SoCal Video Games. Mm-hmm. There's a nice professional pictures of it. And then the condition says used, but nothing about the repair job. Very nice condition from my personal collection. What is with the people saying personal collection? collection. And it that, wasn't your personal collection. Someone gave it to you. And that was, his, back. that was Willie's main problem that he, he lists right up here is that these repaired cobbled together boards were being sold as used, but in nice condition. The uh, Donkey Kong one. Nice condition for my personal collection. No battery cover. Nothing about the repairs. No. Or the board that that Willie uh, repaired. The third one. Galaxian. Very nice condition for my personal collection. Covered in brimstone. And these didn't go cheap. Like, these were like 70 bucks for a Galaxian. 55 for the ripped, uh, ripped uh, a label one for a Donkey Kong. These things are expensive. so. The point is, the point is, is that these are expensive to begin with. So if they're they are damaged and repaired, it has to be noted because that'll drop the price down hugely. If, if I mean, if someone who knew what they were getting into got one of these and decided, hey, I do want to investigate a little bit further, and opened it up and saw a bunch of wires jumped all over the place, yes. this thing would have been worth ten to fifteen dollars. So the the bad news is, is that these all these three auctions ended in the middle of May. I'm guessing Willie found out about it only somewhat recently since his video came out a few days ago. So these people already have it in their possession. Might be t- too late to get their money back, or let's hope they at least. They, oh, there's still time though for them to do a PayPal complaint though, mm-hmm. through, or through eBay. For, excuse me, through an eBay complaint to say, hey, they can open it up, unscrew it, at the bottom, say, hey, this thing has a bunch of wires and. You know, soldered together. This is not the condition. It's a hack job. It wasn't this. It wasn't you know disclosed as such. It wasn't disclosed that these were heavily modified, repaired. Um, So, Mike, it was funny. Someone, someone in 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 the Atari forum said he wanted to come on the forum to just say, "Okay, it's time we should back off, Mike." And then this happened. I don't see why you'd back off of someone where this is their shitty behavior. No, this is how this is who they are. 
There is no backing off. They're not going to change. Nope. No, not at all. It's not going to happen. No. They are, they, have you ever worked in a restaurant? You ever have to, did you ever do dishes or anything like that? No. Anyone out there who ever works in a restaurant is going to know what a grease trap is. He's the grease trap of humanity. <laughs> wow. He's a devil spawning grease trap. Uh, he's a lot of things. Uh, he's a, a diaper full of loose stool. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, all my, I mean, my gloves are off. I just don't care. Oh, even when I said that, I got in trouble. The internet came after me when I said gloves are coming off. Well, come, come at me. <laughs> defend this one. You might, you might get some uh, mean tweets at 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, defend this guy, guys. All right. <laughs> Moving on to the movie topics. <laughs> so, uh, it, is, it has been reported that uh, Disney is not exactly happy with what they are seeing uh, in the first cut of uh, Gareth Edwards' uh, Star Wars Rogue One. Um, the general consensus here is that uh, it doesn't feel like what a classic Star Wars movie should feel like and that they felt the tone was a bit darker than what something uh, that that's coming that that basically should lead up to the first 10 minutes of the of new song. hope yeah. um, should, should should look like. Uh, and they need to do uh, they want to do reshoots uh, several weeks of reshoots. Um, to add, uh, well, this is something that keeps coming up: levity to the the film. Um, Let, let's 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 back up. A lot of films get reshoots, big yes. budgets. They're usually a week or two at most. Several weeks is like reshooting probably most of the film potentially. Sure, that's a big deal. I I I'm of two camps here. Um, I really liked what I saw in the trailer. The dialogue was a little stiff, but visually, and this is where it comes in, and hopefully they can keep it, because the visuals were darker, but I really like Gareth Edwards' directing style. I loved, like, when, when I, Godzilla, the, the, the most recent U.S. Godzilla, just did it for me because it was shot so nicely, and I thought that this trailer looked good and I was interested in it and as we talked, trailers jobs are to get you interested and it did, it did that for me I realized it did not do that for everyone um, but at the other hand, despite liking what I had seen and wanting to see more of that, I may still see that because that's Gareth Edwards and they they are kind of right they need this to feel somewhat in line I guess with the Star Wars universe I was looking forward to seeing something different I was going to say, why, I was. why does it have to line up? Because it's not... Because of money. Y- y- here, okay. This is a weird one. This is the first standalone Star Wars f- film ever. Yes. So I understand they have to... They have to... They can't put out something radically different. Some words said that it, it came off like a war film. Yes. That to intrigues me. me it interests me so fucking much. Me too. To, it... see, to see a quote-unquote more mature uh, film in the Star Wars uh, universe to me has... It, there's so much potential there. And you can uh, add levity to it. I'm not yes. anti-levity. It doesn't have to be BVS dark. It just has to... I wanted to see a Star Wars movie that was different. And but, I'm afraid that I'm not but going yeah, to this sounds like the, What this sounds like is that he made something like Platoon set in the Star Wars universe. Which, while it would be probably successful, th- this is a huge risk for Disney. This should have been like... I, I I hate to say it, I I almost just wish this could have been the the second or third standalone mm-hmm. movie because at that point Star Wars is reestablished 
it's never not been massive, but it's even more massive. And then they could afford to take risks. They can't afford to take the the risk right now, which is a shame because I think we might get robbed of something that could be a very yeah. very unique. Uh, so this is what's intriguing to this because sources say that the first cut was a solid showing. It didn't measure up to the bar set in terms of a of whatever four quadrant appeal means. I guess they mean family, children, action. You know, the broad base sure. of fans. Which I'm going to say this then. How did it get to this point before someone, uh, the executive said, this is not what we want? Did, shouldn't you did, notice that from the script? Not just well, the script, but what the director's, uh, the director's tone, the discussion of what type of movie he wanted to make. I highly doubt that someone would screw with Disney and the Star Wars franchise and misrepresent the type of film they're going to be making. You know, midstream and say, oh, I want to make this a lot darker, more serious. Maybe Disney didn't realize it until after they saw it. Like, wow, what did we agree to here? Yeah, that's the only thing I can say is like, wow, maybe we really, maybe this is a lot darker than what we thought it would be. Because when you saw that teaser that came out a couple months ago, that was pretty dark. Yeah, it was. So that Disney must have known then what type of film it was. Weren't they seeing the dailies from the shoots saying, wow, this isn't like the tone of the other movies? That it just was surprising that it would get to this point where it's like, whoa, we have to do several weeks of reshoots. And, I just, and probably a cost of like, you know tens of millions of dollars, if not more. I understand that you can't have this be dour throughout. I really do. I argued that the whole time when we were talking about other movies. But my concern here is that I don't want this to become like... I don't want Star Wars to accidentally become like the Phantom Menace and all Mm -hmm. that again, where they try to appeal to children. Not every Star Wars movie has to have this lighthearted wahoo we are... Uh, Rebels saving the world tone like The Force Awakens did. And I love The Force Awakens, but you, you're you allowed to do something different with your universe. People are dying. Entire, entire, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, in, 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 in part three, you know, children were killed. I mean, to, to get to the point uh, where you have to get Death Star plans, there's shit going on in the background that isn't all happy-go-lucky. A New Hope was not this... It always, it always funny when people try to defend the prequels. They said, well, the original ones were Kitty, too. A New Hope was not Kitty at all. No. You and, had, and, and Empire was certainly not Kitty. You had Luke almost get killed by sand people early on. You had an arm chopped off in the cantina. You had uh, Uncle Ben and Aunt Beru burned, a fucking, burned alive, it looked like, by stormtroopers. Yeah. This you had a torture, uh, an implied torture scene with Princess Leia, an entire she, planet blown up. This was this was some deep shit for a quote unquote kids movie. Yeah, people killed like every five minutes. The force choke by Vader. Yeah, the first time you see it, where he's gonna kill the guy. It's a dark universe. People die. It can be, and yeah. I I just I like I said I I I understand, but do not agree. With what Disney is doing, yeah, here. it's tough. It's a business. They they spent a few billion getting the rights to this, and they're going to make the money back, obviously. But you can't have a mediocre or even a soft success for any Star Wars movie. You just can't. It's got to well, be a success. What I'm hoping that, for is we get the R-rated three-hour director's cut after this comes out. I don't think I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I was just making a shit uh, joke. Are you making a Snyder joke? No, 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 okay. no. You you made that for me. All right. So I didn't bring up his name. <laughs> So Warcraft, based upon, obviously, World of Warcraft, but it's a story based upon the first game, which I had as, as a, a teen, the real-time strategy game. The film comes out soon. Early reviews are not good. 
No, uh, no, no, no. Battlefield Earth like like. Well, that was the one I over mean, the top sure, sort of sure, criticism but... is uh, uh, from IndieWire. Warcraft is the Battlefield Earth of the 21st century. I I think the comparison they're trying to make is that Battlefield Earth was based on a novel, a sci-fi novel by L. Ron Hubbard, who who is a fucking joke. Who created the cult of Scientology, and. The people that really liked that movie were people that really liked L. Ron Hubbard or Scientologists. You had to you had to really like the book to like that movie. Sure. Otherwise, you were lost, and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" According to this review, that's what Warcraft is. Unless you really know the game and the characters and the lore, you're going to be like, "What the fuck is this? Why am I watching this? This is too much for me." And so far, a lot of the reviews, uh, at least on Rotten Tomatoes, that's what it's basically the tone of a lot of people. It's like, well. If you know, like, the little Easter eggs drop for you, uh, fans of the game, then you might get a lot more out of this than the average moviegoer, who's yeah. just struggling to want to like these characters and follow what the hell's happening. But even the pre-release review that I read said that they see that as 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 unique in that instead of trying to bridge the gap... Well, instead of bridging the gap between video games and movies, and even... like. There, the one that I read said that they were they would struggle to find anything that would even make this interesting to the players of the game, because the story is insipid. Um, you know, the, the the they they said basically the entire movie plays out like a highlights reel of a story they're expecting well, you to already know, but they don't even do it well enough for fans to give a shit. This is what I'm thinking because when you bought that Warcraft, the first one and the second one. You got a pretty good, robust manual. I probably mm-hmm. still have them somewhere. Oh, yeah. And the first like three, four pages is the lore and story of of what of the characters and when I'm when I'm like uh, when I'm starting to see some of these names, it's starting to come back to me. Some of like uh, like was Loth was it Lothar King Lave uh, Doomhammer is the big one of the big evil orcs. You know, these are some of the guys you play in the game as like the hero characters, which had a lot more hit points yeah. and were more powerful. And this is the first the first story game. So this is when the orcs first come over from their dying land and then the humans try to repel them. I was shocked before I get into the tomato meter score at some of the comments. I was shocked that a movie that's supposed to be grand and epic with probably three or four main human characters from the king, the main knight, you have the the, 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 the mage guy and three or four orc characters, uh, Doomhammer, you have the, I guess, the quote-unquote good orc character that's trying to uh, be aligned with the humans, which I don't remember from the first story at all. They might have added that in uh, after the first story, retcon that. And having the Paula Patton character, which everyone said is laughably bad makeup. Oh, yeah. Following all these characters for a movie that runtime is only an hour and 40 minutes. Are you kidding? I, I missed that. Holy. Unless Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. No, probably not. An hour and 40 fucking minutes for a movie that's supposed to have epic battles setting up a proposed probably at least trilogy of movies based upon a fantasy world is an hour and 40 minutes. And you're supposed to introduce all the worlds, the characters, have full character arcs for these four, five, six characters, and have battle sequence in an hour and 40? That's a tough, tall order. My buddy is uh, currently in the process of trying to talk me into going to see it at that movie theater. Just so we can get, like, hammered and watch it. But, oh, like, the one that you can order beers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be an advertising mouthpiece, but, like, that was a cool right. movie. And I'm like, look, you pay the 
you pay the ticket. I'll I'll go guzzle beer and waste an hour and forty minutes. If it was two and a half hours, no way. John, you don't listen to the podcast, but if for whatever reason you are, you pay the ticket. I'll go sit there for an hour and forty minutes and drink. I mean, I I I how bad could this be? See, unlike some other movies, these are characters that I don't care about. So I it's just it's just watching a shit movie on cable. But me. I'm a guy who. I know. I had the original game, so like I said, it clicked. Like, okay, I remember that character. They might have changed the story from the original one or two games, but I'm at least okay. I I could be a target audience for this. I could. Yeah, be. you could be. But even I'm like, what the hell's going on? So this has a a 4.1 out of 10 average score out of 50 reviews. So that's pretty much set. 18% positive reviews on the good old tomato meter. That's below Batman v Superman to remind everyone to bring it up again. Woo 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 woo. And the top critics are all thrashing it. Uh, this is not Lord of the Rings. It's barely Dungeons and Dragons. Remember when that movie came out? Oh my god. Holy. Yep. Uh, from Time Out. Like it's 10 foot anti-heroes. Warcraft is noisy, lumbering, and not terribly bright. From from Variety. The final product brings to mind those animated advertisements for iPhone app games. Whoa. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. Um... Yeah, and here's the one from the rap. Another. Oh, this is a sec- this is a totally independent review. Imagine Battlefield Earth without the verb or the unintentional comedy. That's two references to Battlefield Earth from two different. And it doesn't even have unintentional comedy. Sorry, if John, I'm not going anymore. If there's no unintentional comedy the only, here, the only positive top review so far from the Hollywood Reporter. Dramatically and technically, Warcraft gives the concept of hybrid new punch. I'm not even sure what the hell that means. Yeah, honestly, yeah. now I'm trying to stay neutral on this to like see it but it's not it's not looking good I'm, I'm trying to look for yeah, like 2 out of 5 2.5 out of 5 1.5 out of 5 2 out of 5 like it's not a train wreck but it's not good so this is the danger though they want to make a world out of this probably do a movie based upon Warcraft 2 and Warcraft 3 it's apparently apparently sets up with a an incredibly incredibly like obvious um, cliffhanger for a, a sequel. Like it doesn't even come. It supposedly doesn't even come close to closing the story. I, I'm, I'm guessing the the end could be the beginning of Tides of Darkness, the sequel, where you basically have basically spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. The humans lose in Warcraft One. Yeah. So Warcraft Two sets it up where the humans retreat and fall back and and are now sided with the orcs and the elves. And band together. So the beginning of Warcraft Two is literally the orcs sailing in with their armada to attack the human, uh, the alliance of humans, orcs, and elves. That's probably how this movie ends. It would make the most sense. Sure, you think something like that. You're not gonna. You might not get there because this is probably not going to do that well. I know there's tons of WoW fans out there, but that's not going to move the needle entirely for getting the enough ticket sales for what looks like a very expensive movie mm-hmm. in order to go for a sequel. Then again, maybe Activision Blizzard. We'll just pony up the money to keep it going and take the loss and do a tax write-off. I don't know. But it doesn't bode well, though, in general, for for video game movies, if one of the biggest video games in the world doesn't have a stellar performance at the box office. No. This is a lot bigger than, than even freaking Assassin's Creed World of Warcraft. Sure. So if, if this doesn't do well and that doesn't do well, that might be it. You might never see your Halo movie or any other big franchise. You might never see it. It might be too big a risk, for better or for worse, unless the, the independent... Uh, publishers or like Microsoft put out the money for put money for a Halo movie, maybe it would, it would be possible. You know, 
Continuing on with video game movies, uh, it's been stated that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be starring in a movie based on The Division. Uh, The Division is a game that Ubisoft put out. Uh, The people who are also doing the Assassin's Creed movie and a Splinter Cell movie and a Rabbids movie because uh, Ubisoft has decided that what America wants is more video game movies because, you know, their Prince of Persia movie did so well. Um, did that do well? I don't remember if that did okay. I think it did all right. I, I think it might have done okay money-wise, but it wasn't critically, like, particularly uh, uh, acclaimed. Um, so The Division is a game that basically starts in a New York City after a weaponized flu virus is dropped on a shitload of money that is then dispersed before Black Friday and uh, basically wipes out all of New York City. And uh, ostensibly, you have to go get to the bottom of it, find this doctor, etc. I've played the game, it's fun. It does wear towards the middle. Um, but really, you spend most of the game taking cover and firing pot shots at uh, gangsters, uh, people wearing uh, propane tanks, and uh, various other enemies, and raiding like dungeon type levels where you have to take out gang leaders. Um, while the basic premise could potentially be stretched into an hour and a half long movie, I'm just not sure that I see this working out particularly well. I also well, understand how a, a guy like Jake Gyllenhaal would want to sign on for a second video game related movie. That just strikes me as odd. Well, he gets paid. What does he care? I guess so, but I mean, maybe some... he likes a story. At least a story like this isn't like uh, the Warcraft movie, like seventeen different characters you got to weave in and out. No, this is this More has this has no central character other than the enemy. So this is broad enough in terms of its story because you you all create your characters and play online together. Yeah. You could conceivably create a fairly decent narrative with the cool idea of a weaponized flu virus. Yeah, you have a squad taking having, people out, trying to find sure. The so it 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 it, it could work. I just want to know why Ubisoft has suddenly decided that every single one of their properties needs to be turned into a movie. I mean, historically, video game movies are not doing well. I mean, are they looking at the reviews for Warcraft? Did they look at the reviews for Prince of Persia? Have they looked at the reviews for video game movies over history and time? When are people going to stop... When are these companies going to stop thinking that they've got the property that's going to make a great movie? Prince of Persia made three thirty-six million worldwide on a two hundred million budget. Holy shit! So, so, yeah, so no, that, so that did not make its no. money back. Maybe on um, maybe on DVD or not, but that did not do well. That's why you didn't see any other movies after that. Jesus Christ, two hundred million budget on that. So yeah, let's let's do it again. Let's do it again. One, two, three, four. Let's do it three more times, guys. Four more times. Uh, well, I guess we're going to. If there's any time to take a stab at it, it'd be now with the popularity of video games. I mean, like, what else would you try? Uh, it only got 36% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a 5 out of 10. So, the story's interesting, and it probably would cost less than 200 fucking million dollars, at least. Oh, the division? Shit. Yeah, the story's interesting. You could totally do it. I mean... You're just saying why all these sudden, yes all why these all of a sudden yeah I don't I don't see this going well it's like I said uh, when when they talked about Call of Duty I have no interest in seeing a Call of Duty movie but it's one of those things where like you give it a basic premise and the division even has a more solid basic premise and you just write whatever fucking story you want for it and you slap the name on it but at this point that's that's a stigma that people are probably going to start actively avoiding it's the exact opposite of superhero movies. There are people who don't read comics who are like, oh, that's a Marvel film? Yeah, I'm going to go check that out. Oh, that's a video game movie? No, we're right back to square one. Fuck that. I'm not seeing that shit. 
eat me. So we, we don't usually talk about, well, this is wrestling related. But, uh, so, Ariel Helwani, who is probably the biggest mixed martial arts reporter, um, the fact that I know his name and I know what he looks like. I that, know what he, his name and what he looks like, and yeah. I haven't watched in years. Yeah, he's been doing it for like 10 years. He was a guy running around to all these events like 10 years ago when no one else cared about MMA or UFC yeah. at all, really. And was doing it. And he's on, what was it, MMAfighting.com. He has a podcast. He was just working for uh, UFC on, uh, excuse me, uh, Fox UFC coverage. And something weird happened over the weekend. They had UFC 199, which from what I hear was a good event. And two major pieces of information they wanted to announce at that event that Ariel uh, got scoops from from his sources. Two really big pieces of information. The first... The Conor McGregor-Nate uh, Diaz rematch, which was originally supposed to be at, at UFC 200, but Conor McGregor sort of nicks because he didn't want to do, do that. Wait, 200 is coming up. You mean 199 or 201? No, it was originally supposed to be at UFC 200. Oh, okay. Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz, the rematch. They okay. had the first match where Diaz won. Uh, McGregor didn't want to do the press for 200, so they canceled it. But they, oh, okay. they now reannounced it for 202. Gotcha. That's going to be the biggest match in, U- in UFC, maybe history, or uh, up there, uh, for that rematch. So he got the scoop on that, uh, saying the deal was just about done. But then he got another scoop that was going to be announced, that Brock Lesnar uh, signed to fight at UFC 200, which is only a month away. Yeah. They, they want to make it a big event. Brock Lesnar is going to fight Mark Hunt, who's more of a journeyman heavyweight, but he's not a tomato can. He... He, he's a danger, sure. at least. So, after the, these announcements came out on Twitter, while Ariel was like at the event watching, the PR guys basically pulled him from the event. They and, tried once, and he was like, no, no, I'm no. Not, no I want to watch Michael Bisbing fight for the title yeah. for the first time. And he actually won. Michael Bisbing's been a, been a veteran around for yeah, a long geez. time. Um, so, they revoked his press credentials, and along with uh, two people from MMA Fighting... Uh, photographer, I think his wife. His wife as well. And basically kicked him out. For life, with a life ban. Life ban from UFC Handed, handed down directly from Dana White. Uh, and Dana White's reasoning, everyone suspects it was because uh, he ruined Dana White's little party and... Uh, well, the surprises, yeah. He ruined the surprises. But that's not even why Dana White said that he was getting rid of him. He said he was getting rid of him for being too negative. Well... There was a little backstory where they they basically threw him off the Fox uh, pre-fight show uh, before that and kind of got him off of that. Uh, And it turns out it's a little more complicated that Helwani also covered some Bellator events. Bellator is a competing MMA Mm -hmm. organization, and Dana White didn't like that. Ariel's not obligated only to cover UFC if he's into mixed martial arts. Hire him to only cover UFC if that's what you want. So that got him in trouble with the Fox job. But for this, they didn't like the fact that they said that they wanted to come. They The UFC wanted Ariel to come to the UFC and ask him for comment on the Lesnar story before he ran with it. Which is insane. Because that does not happen with any reporting, especially with sports reporting. No. It was such news that it ran Scott Van Pelt's ESPN like primetime show, had Ariel on. Um, they were talking about it on like Around the Horn. Uh, about like you don't do that. You get the information from your sources. If you think it's viable, you run with it. You don't go to the. You don't go to them because if he go, went to the UFC, they would have then uh, reported it and announced it before letting Ariel do it. He was just doing his fucking, fucking job. job. He's a reporter. This is what he's supposed to do. So fortunately, UFC because 
Ariel's beloved by the fighters mm-hmm. because he'll let fighters talk about stuff about uh, like the bullshit like Reebok deal that UFC has where it doesn't allow fighters to do their own self promotion on their uh, on their pants anymore or like with Reebok you got to wear their stuff and their equipment and you can't have your own promo deals like just and sponsorships really stupid stuff. Uh, he lets them talk about that stuff. Um, they love him and they, they rallied behind him. Even Nate Diaz did. Like, like everyone did. Well, Nate Diaz will say whatever he wants. That's why people like him. He he, he doesn't give a shit about, right. what, about the corporate sort of stuff. So the point. So within 24 hours, almost uh, UFC reversed their decision. Thank oh, really? Okay. They did. The article uh, I read it I, it had not said that they had reversed yeah. their decision. They reversed their decision. Uh, it was it was uh, Ariel uh, came on the Scott Van Pelt's ESPN show uh, and. The reason was to talk about that, but it was actually the breaking news that Kimo Slice had died, who was the yes. Florida street brawler. Uh, I don't want to get into now, but it's pretty sad. He was only 42. He talked about that, but then, then they revealed, yes, they reversed their decision earlier in the day. Good. So that's good That's good all around, because it's really shitty for UFC to do that. Ariel was doing his job. But let's talk about Brock at, two, at UFC 200 and why this is... It blows my mind that... that that WWE is allowing it. Because he's still, still under contract. contract. That, this is That's uh, the whole point. I mean, besides... The aerial thing. I, when I heard that, I said, "How? How? How are they letting him?" Brock's contract may may have a clause that allows him to do it. It's just, I mean, he's going into an actual fight, and the WWE has just been so rattled by injuries lately that sure. taking out someone, if something happened to Brock and someone as big as Brock, who they Brock is their crutch for when things go to shit. And I, I'm I'm just surprised that there. I mean that uh, this is happening. Well, there's enough time in between summer. I think it's supposed to wrestle at SummerSlam, which is late, usually late August. And, okay, and so that gives him a good like six week pad in between. And usually, knock on wood, you're not going to get that fucked up from the fight unless you get a bone broken or something. Yeah, which is always possible uh, that he would be able to compete. Like I said, Mark Hunt isn't a tomato can, but Brock should be able to take care of it. Mark Hunt's a lot smaller. Brock's still a world-class wrestler. Brock will probably take this guy to the ground and maul him. Unless Brock gets caught by a couple of punches trying to take the guy to the ground, Brock should have his way. Anything can happen in a a mixed martial arts fight, but Brock should win this. Sure. I don't want to say fairly easily, but he should win it. It's still a risk, though. But I'm going to say this. the, The reward versus risk is a lot better for WWE because it can just carry through it. This is a badass, legit... And when Brock wrestles, it gets people watching, and this is going to get crossover UFC fans, and it'll just it'll add to the myth of, of Brock being a the most legit professional wrestling badass, which is his character anyway. But just continue it. I'm just surprised. I want to watch it now because it's, not, it's like before when he it was remember it was five years ago when he last fought yeah. in the UFC, and he was the champion. He got diverticulitis, had a foot of his freaking colon taken out. Uh, it, it was a de- crippling disease he got. Which, if he didn't get that, maybe he would have kept his title. Who knows? You know, he lost uh, Cain Velasquez. Um, it's it's ballsy. It's just that's all I can say about it. It's really ballsy sure. to do that. It's also funny though because you have Brock at two hundred, which originally CM Punk was originally supposed to be at, and you have Brock coming back to do a fight. And CM when, Punk, what the hell is going on with CM Punk? Uh, the the news with CM Punk was he's also the same age as Brock. They're both thirty seven. Believe it or not. Holy shit, point. Brock's only 37. Yeah, remember, he started wrestling at, I mean, it was like 23. He looks like a 20. fucking 600-year oak. Anyways, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Redwood. Yeah, uh, Robert uh, Brock's sorry. the type of guy I could picture him being able to wrestle ten years from now. You know, sure. Especially since he doesn't do it that often. This is like he slowed down at all, really. No. Um, uh, the the latest with CM Punk was uh, his opponent. I think they originally wanted to do two hundred. They pushed it back, and people people were saying CM Punk has not progressed as a fighter. I, no, what, what a fucking surprise! Fucking guy with a giant fucking ego, and you know, well, oh, I'm a real well, fighter. Well, let's just, we'll take the ego out of it. The fact of the matter is, he's a guy who starts training at 36 years old uh, to become a mixed martial artist, and the wear and tear of his body after being a professional wrestler all those years, and maybe he wasn't in the best shape to begin with, and taking care of his body, who knows? It might never happen. So this is either way, Brock. He probably he probably asked. He probably got whatever they asked because 200. Uh, you have you had no. Uh, oh, let's see, R- uh, Rousey's not back yet. She's not going to be back for a while. They're going to push her back, maybe the end of the year or even further back. Mm-hmm. She's not coming back. Conor McGregor fights pushed back from two hundred. They needed another big fight. Sure, they needed something, and, and this is the big fight. Brock is your go-to guy when you need a big fight, whether it's a <laughs> staged fight or a real fight. I guess so. And yeah. Brock will probably he's probably getting paid a couple million for that fight or three million. And even taking it on probably semi-short notice probably doesn't matter. He's got a month or so, yeah. I think, until two hundred, and you know it's going to be fine. You know, oh, there's even there's even a, a female uh, Paige Van Zant, a, a female MMA star who might be at SummerSlam. So there you go, a lot more crossover stuff. Very interesting time right now for WWE and UFC, and I'm just still surprised that Vince would allow it because of the injury risk. But even the the hit, what if Lesnar gets killed in the fight? Not literally, but you know, gets destroyed mm-hmm. and. Then, it's kind of hard. I mean, still, you're still a badass for putting yourself in the line, getting in the cage, no matter what. But just the look of him—he he needs to make harder. sure he looks. Yeah, yeah. Because when he came back to WWE, it was off of two UFC losses, and the last one was pre- pretty bad. So yeah. I mean, it's not like he was coming in with a sterling record. It was still, oh, he was in UFC, he was a champion. You can you can never take that away from you. So now it's time for Q and A. Q and A. Q and A. I'll ask this one to Pat. We'll see what his guesstimate is. This is from uh, Robafet64. How much money would it take for Ian to get in the ring with Zack Snyder? Boxing, pro wrestling, or MMA? I think all three of those would require separate amounts. I think Ian's best shot against Zack Snyder at those. I I can picture Ian has some pretty good... uh Brazilian jiu-jitsu skills. Yeah. Well, let's go MMA <laughs> yeah, on there. Yeah, absolutely. Take, pull guard <laughs> uh, on Snyder. Take him to the ground. Snyder looks like he works out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I think you could, you could be some some sneaky, slippery uh, jiu-jitsu on him. A little, little snake-like, you know. Catch him catch him in a, a triangle choke. Maybe an Americana. You know? see, and, see, the money isn't really going to be the issue here. Uh, <laughs> it, it's my best chances. And uh, so either I... Uh, get back on the fucking gym schedule and get into MMA shape, or I just bulk up and butterbean him in a in a boxing match. <laughs> He's fucking put on like ninety pounds of fat and just fucking chocolate syrup in my water bottle and just fucking Cat- butterbean the fuck a, out of him. A, a Cadbury cream egg smoothie. And yeah, just like, <laughs> and just go to town on that. Or or I get really lucky with booking and I get I get a double underhook DDT on him clean <laughs> in the ring. Oh, One, two, no, three. Oh, so the pro wrestling would, would be would be a, a booked fix match. It would it be? Oh, it'd be a, it'd be a booked fix match. Uh, oh. Maybe like there could be a swerve where like Ben Affleck runs in as like the ref. 
<laughs> and he does a fast count. Oh, like, there's a fast count? There's a fast count. Oh, no, no. He gets the steel chair, goes to hit you, and then turns <laughs> and to hit yeah, Snyder. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so bitch for Affleck. That's <laughs> the director's livelihood right there. <laughs> no. Damn you, Affleck. That director pissed away his livelihood about a movie or would, two would ago. Would you let me tra- uh, train you if you did a little boxing? I'll show you a little yeah, combination maybe. stuff, sure. maybe. Sure, why not? Could do that. I, I, th- I think you'd be a pretty good boxer. I think you'd have some pretty good hand speed. Okay. <laughs> You're, I think you're taller than Snyder. You might be able to keep him at bay with a, a longer uh, jab reach. You know, like Buster Douglas versus Tyson. Keep him at bay a little bit, you know? I can picture, I picture Snyder having pretty good uppercuts. you got to keep him on the outside. Don't, don't let him get inside there. He's probably got a wicked sucker punch. <sighs> it was fun, the segment. I wanted to end the segment, so we just yeah, did. Boy, did you. Yep. At Eli Nostalgia, did you ever expect retro collecting to get this popular? Even when I started in, like, whatever, I say it all the time, 97, 98, like, when I started actively giving a shit about buying these, um, at first, no, just because people were offloading them to me for 20, you know, 20 bucks in a school cafeteria, I was getting 30 games. Um, But very quickly, at the flea markets, there was one big reseller, and his prices were super fair in Buffalo, and I just, week by week by week, I started to see the crowds go around and around, and... By the time that I got hired at Luna, which would have been 2006. Oh, 10-year anniversary. Yeah, I've basically been there for about 10 years. Um, Around 2006, A, that meant that he was making enough money to take on an employee. Um, B, over those two years, I saw it grow. And you always say 2010. I always say about 2007, 2008. Just because that's how I... It very quickly, year to year, I saw like our holiday seasons explode. No, I always said 2006 was the first year where it started okay. getting more interest. Then, then, then I would say, sure, then I agree with you on that. Because from 2006 to 2007 to 2008, I saw our holiday seasons double and triple. And I said, okay, this is going someplace big. The nostalgia is hitting people, or people don't want to play these very long, you know, involved games anymore. Oh. Um, that's also when we started seeing things like uh, Retron Twos and uh, and uh, FC Twins oh. and all these companies making these things to support this growing it, market. It was a strange two thousand. We wanted this was a whole conversation, but two thousand six was sort of a strange uh, congruence of events. Uh, YouTube, yeah, started true. getting big. Uh, I can so see you had, that. You had uh, YouTubers start to put out their shitty uh, emulated videos, but it's still, and obviously AVGN comes out, and all of a sudden you have, wow, retro video games. Oh, remember those funny games from 20 years ago? Oh, Top Gun was shit, uh, you know, or whatever, Karate Kid. <laughs> uh, that got an interest. The Wii comes out, and you had the virtual console. Yeah. I do, I do not discount how, how that really was the first time on a larger scale you had people going back and playing games that were 15, 20 years. Uh, wow. Yeah, the title games are only 20 years old, 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, playing games that they didn't have a chance to get exposed to before. Or, oh, wow, what's this game for five bucks? I'm going to play, uh, you know, uh, Kung Fu Heroes, you know, for five bucks. And it's like, that little bit, I think, sort of was it was a spark. Sure. And that sort of got it, got it going at that point. And of course, 2010... With the Yahoo story from the auction from the same events, it get, that got more of the Vipers in it. But even at my flea markets in New Jersey, 2006, there was one uh, reseller going around looking for stuff. He knew by then that that was the, the time, I think 2006, when you had more resellers start to get, get into it on eBay. That that was it. 
before that, you know, it was pie in the sky. Going to that going to that flea market and getting twenty Nintendo games for twenty bucks. Yeah. You know, that's what I, that's what I was doing. You know. Uh da, da, da. At Dave Van Dam Net. Oh, is it time to hand out an award to this fella just for randomly getting like the most questions answered on hey, a on people, podcast? We don't play favorites. We don't look at who asks these questions. No, I don't, I don't even realize them. it until like we're reading it off. Yeah, if you if you ask some questions, we pick them. Did we lose that wow factor between console generations with the most recent upgrades being minor compared to previous? So. I don't know how to look at... I, I'm not exactly sure what your question is here, but I wanted to answer it because I think that for a lot of people who aren't already there, this whole bullshit of upgrading a console within its lifespan is going to kill a lot of people on the excitement of actual new hardware coming out because we're looking at this now in terms of computer hardware upgrade cycles, not console upgrade cycles. If that's what you were referring to, I got to say, I don't think that's what killed the wow factor, though. That has completely killed almost my entire interest in consoles. I keep saying that after the PS4 era... I'm building a gaming PC. I'm buying the Nintendo system for the first party titles and I'm out. I don't care. I don't I don't need a console anymore. I don't care. Um but I think the wow factor if you're talking between actual generations uh in 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 minor upgrades there. Uh yes, I think that really has killed it. I remember excitement was through the roof between PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2. And there was a pretty big a bit of excitement even between PlayStation 2 and PS3 and 360, mm-hmm. or Xbox and Xbox 360. Um, but that definitely, even before people started to see, you know, retrospectively what the first two years of like PS4, or Xbox One were going to bring you, I didn't see that much excitement. I mean, we were reporting on this. I mean, we started the podcast before those systems came out. And you and I could not have been less excited. And I don't think that was just us. I think that was a lot of people. And a lot of people, because they got into this console buying cycle, they're like, well, the new hardware is coming out, so I got to get it. But I don't remember anyone being totally jazzed to go get a PS4. This is, this is probably what happened. <clears throat> you had When the PS2 came out, first of all, not everyone had uh, computers DVD. yet. I was going to say DVD not players, even DVD, too. But not everyone had computers yet. Yeah. And, and when the Xbox came out, what, uh, 2000, 2001? Xbox or Sure. Or 2000. 2000. I think it was 2000. Uh, Xbox. Okay. So you were still in this weird period where gaming on the PC was separate by and large from the consoles. Sure. When it, come, when it came to the non-Nintendo ones, at least. Um, in terms of power, you still had some catching up to do. Because in the year 2000, you had to buy like you know your Voodoo graphics card still. Remember those awful graphics card or your ATR graphics card. It wasn't standard to have a great graphics on a PC still. So if you wanted, and a lot of those games were not cross-platform. Most of the games were not. Nowadays, a lot of them are. The big titles, Overwatch, not cross-platform. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, but coming out on more one platform, coming out on oh, PC, I see PC yeah, and console. Sure. That's what I mean. I, I was thinking cross-play. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, coming out Overwatch, the Halo games, the Call of Duty games. Uh, Fifteen, twenty years ago, you wouldn't see that. Now you do. Right, so it's not like you have to buy the PS4. Yeah, you're going to miss out on a handful of exclusives you might care about. But 95 percent of the games, you can wait to get even uh, your, your GTA game on your computer, and it'll look better on your computer too. Now the games look better on your computer, right? It has the potential. So those to me are the big differences. I mean, yes, going forward, yeah, 
This is it. Hell, even Microsoft and Sonar are saying this is probably the last full console generation you're going to see, except for Nintendo. If you're going to try to get me to buy two $400 consoles, uh, I, I just, or whatever they charge for the port. It just, it, yes, it, the excitement is gone. It makes less sense. The excitement is gone, and that doesn't mean video games can, are going to be less exciting. It just means how I consume them is 100% going to change. Yeah, and plus it's cheaper. You can get a, you can get a, a quality desktop computer that'll be just as powerful as your PS4 and Xbox One. You'll be able to do everything else on it. And yeah, what, what, why bother with it? Just why bother? So, all right, I'm gonna be the same. I'm gonna be in the same sort of area as you. I'm gonna get a hell. I'm gonna get a new laptop probably by the time before we go to too many games. If not next month, I'm gonna get a new laptop. I won't be able to do it by too many games, but by summer, I'm gonna I'll need one. New laptop for the podcast, for playing games, for streaming, for capturing. That'll be more powerful than a PS4 and an Xbox One. It'll last me five, six, seven years. Yep. You know, I'll be set. You don't have to worry about shutting off those money, those monies. Yeah, those monies. This is from Justin Smith, thirteen. Do you feel retro game collecting has become more about bragging on social media, uh, bragging about what they have on social media? <sighs> That's a very general question. I I will say this. Uh, I'm not involved with the Facebook groups, but I hear they're very toxic. Uh, the retro game like Facebook groups. You always say, oh, these ones are good, but a lot of it is just about either showing off or people trying to flip stuff. I don't know if that's included with social media. I guess it is Facebook. Oh, yeah. I, I will say this. When you have people that have to just... Call, I mean, hell, there's people that either you or me... It's not as much as it used to be. It used to be, hey, Pat, did I do good getting these games? And it's like... I, why, why do you get to be validated by your collecting through someone else? Right. You know? Are you happy with your pickups? Yes. Then, then, that, then that's all it's done. Now, I have friends who everyone they don't do it all the time, but every once in a while they'll be like, "Damn, look at this score!" And it's all like, "Cool, congrats!" Yeah. Like you want to share in the excitement of the hobby, and I think for some of these people, the hobby is finding some good games that they've been looking for. But you know, uh, every week, you know, I see people posting up, "Yeah, these are my finds from this weekend," and it's like. I, I I don't know. There is a lot of bragging, I think. Well, but I, honestly, sharing's not bragging. Sharing, no, when, I, not, when, I, when I ask for people to share what they found, no, the obviously that's what I'm kind of referring to. That's yeah. not bragging at all. That's more fun. Um, no, you know, I guess I have to say on Twitter, I don't see a lot of bragging. I would imagine that Facebook video game groups, which I've never been a part of, I'm going to guess that that's like a lot of like, well, maybe Nintendo Age, but uh, like especially like late '90s. Um, other like video game message boards, it was all about slapping your dick on the table. I will say this: YouTube's a lot of bragging. Yeah, YouTube's a lot, yeah YouTube pickup videos. That's a lot of bragging. But Twitter, you have to understand, Twitter is basically the only social media I use, and I don't see a lot of bragging. I see a lot of people having fun with it. So that's I, I think it probably depends on where you go. Uh, yeah, I think collectors in general, it's always weird. Do you want if you say I want to show off or share versus brag about it? You're you're splicing you're splicing hairs, I think a lot of times. I think a lot of it's in the pre- presentation. What's the tone? Like I, a lot of times, I'll call you up on the phone, and be excited about something, and of course, if, if you're in a if you're t- you know having a bad day, you might say, "Oh, Pat's just bragging about stuff he found at the flea market," versus me just wanting to share. Hey, I found this stuff. How do you how do you tell the difference? I generally like. I, well, no, I don't think you're ever really bragging about it, honestly. It's like, oh, ha ha! I found this game. Yeah, I don't even really done that. There are days where I'm more interested in it than less, depending on how much caffeine is in my system. But I don't ever think you're actually bragging about it. But I'm just saying, is in general, how would you be able to it's tell? It's a hobby of yours. How would you be able to tell in general if someone's bragging versus just sharing their find? What's the line to you? 
It would be see maybe that's why I don't find it as brag is as much I don't think of it as much as bragging on on Twitter because it's tough to read into the tone whereas it would all come it would all be in tone on something like a YouTube video. You'd be like, oh, look what I got, everyone. <laughs> yeah, and I got it for only $15, and it goes for 200 and blah, blah, blah. But, like, someone being like, hey, check it out. I found these three sweet PC Engine games at the flea market. Totally wasn't expecting that. That's not bragging. That's genuine excitement over being like, I found something I totally didn't fucking expect to find at the flea market. Even if it's someone who's like, hey, I caught, like, four common turbo games. At, you know, something like that, or a semi-uncommon Game Boy game. It's not even... It's just... I think a lot of that... I think an easy way to tell the excitement is also about what the pickup is, too. You know, it's like, oh, look, this is just totally something I wasn't expecting to find, you know? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't want to judge anyone on this because honestly, it's too tough to read into, at least on the social media that I, I look into. Yes, there's a lot of bragging in video game collecting, but is it? Yeah. Is, but but is social media the issue? I don't I don't think so. Versus just collecting in general. General. Because yes. Because I've met comic collectors that brag about stuff yeah. or anything else. Toy collectors. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's any any group of collectors. Collectors are a certain type of people in general, and you always have those the negative sort of corner of mm-hmm. of that sort of population this is from at david 64 what would the impact be on independent retro game stores if the retro bubble popped and prices returned to mid 2000s levels i find this a a fascinating question because i i worked in independent retro game retail in the mid 2000s before the prices got to where they were um, i don't joke when i say i remember bonk's adventure being a 30 dollar game um and having it multiple fucking times um you know when i i you know obviously it's supposedly come it's common in terms of amount made but like i remember having stacks of 10 contras now i go you know two three months without seeing him um I can't say a whole lot about numbers, but profit-wise, if you're running a good store, charging fairly, paying fairly, our profits have gone up, but they're still about they're still about the same because the interest is still there, the interest grows, and we've grown as a business. But I, how do I put it? The, the 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 amount of money we would make per sale as we've gone on has generally been about the same because I pay more, but I charge more, so I'm making yeah. about the same. Now, but here's the issue. This is where the, things get problematic uh, because I'm not going to lie and say, oh, everything would be hunky-dory. It'd be fine. It, it wouldn't, and it, 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 it could get back to the point where it would be fine, but I can tell you right now, the first two years would be fucking miserable, and here's why. Everyone would be trying to get out of the hobby who was in it for money, and even though the value was crashing, they'd expect the value... People are, are going to want high value, even though the stores aren't going to be able to pay as much anymore, because if the stores want to move their stock, they would have to drastically drop the prices back down to uh, you know, levels from five, five, six years ago, which means the people who are expecting the amount that they saw a year ago is no longer the amount that they're going to get. They're going to get a, They're going to get offered fairly an amount from five or six years ago out of their range, and it's going to come to them as a shock. And no matter how much someone tells them, look, I know this game went for $350 when you bought it, but it's going for 100 right now. I cannot give you anywhere near what you are asking. 
So it would be very difficult to have the market shocked in that manner. When things gradually go up or gradually go down, you can kind of make it work. But if we're talking about a pop and prices just plummeting, that would be very difficult for a business like us. <clears throat> so, yeah, you, in terms of your profit margin, in theory, would be the same. Uh, if Because if a game, if it costs you $5 to buy a game you sell for, say, 15 in cash, um, and then it goes from that in the future to a game you have to spend ten dollars and you and you sell for whatever twenty or the profit margin similar. Yes, you got to pay more money for a game that's worth more anyway. So that for that it makes sense when the prices go up. When it goes back down, it should fall. But what you're saying is you have a lot more trouble getting those games because they're going to lot want more money because of how much they paid before. Now it's, it's going to be like people trying to get off the freaking Titanic. People are going to be barging into the store trying to get every last penny they can out of these games, and businesses are going to have to have the foresight to be like, no, I can't, I can't pay you would, that. Would you then also get a glut of people dumping their collections so then the supply goes up, which also lowers the price? So yes. all, all of a sudden you have... Uh, time you had like 25 Super Mario 3s. Those yeah. times returned. You're sitting on 25 Super Mario Brothers 3s. You can't get the same price as you did for before when they flew off the shelves. Now I sit on two Super Mario Brothers 3s at any given time and no Contras. Like, those are the games that I always use. I remember. I just, people are under the impression that Luna Video Games has a back room that's just fucking overflowing with Super Mario 3. No bullshit. I'm sold out of Super Mario 3 almost all the goddamn time. Um, and. It's the only other interesting thing to me would be like how many of the true heads would stick around and then be like now's the time would they come in and help us would they come in and bring some profit back be like this is what we've been waiting for for no, these prices yeah. now we're going to buy it all and you know would that average out how would that work so it's not it's really not a scenario i want to have to envision but I could see people. I could see the the properly run store coming out well, of it just fine. Well, when you when you talk about it bubble, be, it would, there would be a, lean years. A bubble entails an investment bubble, sure. Not, not necessarily a collecting bubble, because the investors will be the first ones out. Sure. So if they leave the market, don't come in your store anymore. That wouldn't necessarily affect the people like me or other collectors that are going to come in no matter what and try to look for stuff. Yeah, you're you're right. So and, that, and that would re result in a much more gradual reduction of price, which wouldn't hurt us nearly as much. You might see resellers getting out of the hobby and dumping with their inventory, though, like people running eBay stores. That'd be interesting. I, I mean, in a way, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're presenting some some options scenarios here that I don't necessarily think are the most likely, but they could happen. That it almost could work in favor for a place like us. I've kind of seen it. I went to the flea market recently. I saw a guy. I don't know where he got him from. He had hundreds and hundreds of PS2 games. Uh, not a huge amount of GameCube games, but a lot of them were price tagged. So I, they came from some store at some point, or some retailer, some secondary retailer, uh, a lot of them. And he was selling a bunch of them. Um, you know, Stuff happens. People get out of the hobby. They, they don't think it's worth it trying to sell them anymore. They're going to close up shop and maybe dump their inventory. If obviously a bubble happened... You'd see a lot of because why would why would someone that's trying to uh, trying to uh, sell retro video games stay in it if they if they can do something else and all of a sudden the price prices go down like fifty six percent where they can be selling DVDs or records or whatever else because so, those are the first people that get into it those are the first people that leave it once the the prices go away hand jobs is that a random thought or is that connected to the no, topic? Saying, you could you could sell them you could sell them yeah sell a machine that gives them I don't there know. you go. 
What'd you call me? I said, there you go. I thought you called me a Dago. Anyway. No, no I said, there you go. It sounded like Dago. Anyway. I, I can see where it might have sounded like that, but I said, there you go. We got a few things from, from uh, you loyal listeners out there. Thanks for sending us some stuff. First, before I forget, I, I would like to thank uh, Kevin in Japan. I forgot to bring your letter back with you uh, when you had sent the box with the uh, the, the movie promo materials and stuff. Um, so, uh Thank you very much for that. He sent us a nice letter thanking us, saying that uh, during one of his um, uh, jobs that he was having in Japan, uh, it was very stressful, and, and the uh, and the podcast really helped him get through it. And oh. he uses it on his com- he listens to it on his commutes through Tokyo every time we we release a new one. So well, it was really tight subways where people are forcing each other on to see those videos. Yes. So this is from Andreas from Frankfurt, Germany. Hello, German. Dear Pat and Ian, thank you for the countless hours of entertainment you provided me with. I recently suffered from depression, and listening to your podcast helped me cope, at least a little bit, and take my mind off things. Fortunately, I'm doing much better now. Originally, I wanted to get you some genuine oh, gummy bears from Germany, but since Ian mentioned that you have enough candy to last you for a lifetime... <laughs> I would have taken German Haribo. Anyways, <laughs> thank you. To right now. You're looking out for me, so I have uh, to thank you for that. I took the money it would have cost me to ship those to you and donate it to an, donated, donated it to an organization that strives to educate people about organ, donor, or, organ donors, I think. Nice. I think, I think that's what that says. Uh, Let me see. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. I, it is all organ donation. Okay. Or donation, which I think is a well- Oh, that's even better. Yes. Anyway, I look forward to more scumbag subs of the week. Got two this week. Segments and rude customer stories. Best, Andreas. Thank you, Andreas. I, I thank you so much. I love it when 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 I hear that people are donating money to good causes instead of uh, even though horrible. I guess they're delicious, but it's so much better to put it towards a good cause. This is from uh, Tyler, dear Pat and Ian. From one retro video game wrestling fan to two others, enjoy these pieces of nostalgic glory. No WWE edits, just Coliseum exclusive. Oh, he's referring to Coliseum WWE VHSs, which sometimes they did edit to to fit the length of the DVD. I was the VHS. They would cut matches down to fit the two hours uh-huh. or four hours. I guess not these. Royal Rumble '91, oh, which man. is the best Rumble of all time. Is that the one that is that the one with Flair one or is that '90? That was '91. Yeah, I think that's so cool. Is Flair on that one? Actually, I don't think so. Uh, or was it 92 or Flair 1? Anyway, I think it was 92. It is something I look forward to listening to. Sp- split these however you like. All right. We have SummerSlam 89 with Hogan and B- Beefcake versus Zeus and Macho Man. Nice. Ooh, and you have the back. You have, oh, Rick Rude versus Warrior for the IC belt. That's a good match. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And then SummerSlam 88. Where the Mega Powers meet the Mega Bucks. Hogan <laughs> and Savage. This is when Savage was champion for the first time. Versus Andre the Giant and Ted DiBiase. These are pretty freaking cool. I love uh, This is the prime era of pro wrestling to me. And Royal Rumble. Which one is this? Royal Rumble 88. This is when you have Bad News Brown there. Million Dollar Man, Jake the Snake. So this is the second Royal Rumble, I believe. Yes. I love Royal Rumbles. It's the best thing ever. Well, they've kind of gone downhill in the past few years. Yeah, but... those original ones were great. So thank you, Tyler. Thank you. These are awesome. We'll f- figure out what to do with those later. Maybe our own OSW review of them. And then Ian <laughs> has a box of stuff down there. All right. This will be the last one. 
Hello, Pat Ian. I'm a big fan of your podcast and listen to it or watch the YouTube videos when I when I can. Usually while commuting on the trains here in Japan. Hey, we're big in Japan. <laughs> I'm a video game collector and I also enjoy selling what I don't want or want to or can't keep, which just supports my habit even more. I recently found a couple of items that will hopefully be interested interesting for both of you. Spoilers on the next page. I was originally going to send you a box full of Cadbury cream eggs but thought better of it. Oh, yes, actually, I have plenty of them. Actually, we don't get Cadbury cream eggs here, so I'll take them off your hands if you get to the point where you have to get rid of them. I really enjoy your Ultimate NES guide and appreciate all the work you guys put into it. I'm looking forward to the physical copy in the near future. If you ever need anything from Japan, I might be able to help out. I hope you enjoy the items, and thanks again for the great podcast. Podcast. JB. Shameless self plug time. Twitter at Japan Retro Games. eBay seller ID iCommon Gamer. YouTube Japanese Retro Game Center. Alright. Spoilers for what we have on the next page. For Ian, it was pretty simple. You like DuckTales. When I saw this. Gah. Oh. Read. <laughs> oh, when I saw this glass set, I instantly <laughs> thought of you. I don't know if they have similar glasses in the U.S., but it looks like it was made in Japan, possibly for to- Tokyo. Oh, Gyro, Webby, Scrooge, Huey, and Launchpad character. They're about five-inch five inch glasses right there. Oh, dude, thanks so much. In a little case, that's fantastic. That is awesome. I'm, I'm jealous of that myself. Shit. Little, little like, juice glasses. This is a- Whiskey. Um, for, oh, Pat, it was, for Pat, it was a little trickier. What do I get the guy who has everything? I figured the best thing would be a retro-style video game system that not only plays Famicom games, has built-in... Um, Works the way it's supposed to and never needs updating. There are many, many variations of consoles like these in Japan. Sometimes you find them in the UFO catcher crane games and arcades. So I thought it would be a good reminder oh. that it can be done and rather cheaply too. So this is like the Famicom version of like a Retron 2 or something, I guess? Or like, oh, neat. So it's a Famicom with uh, AV out. Interesting. They say there was built-in games? It says plus 88. I guess there's, 80, oh, there's 88 games inside. So I'm guessing it's like a multi-cart, and uh, I want to see what this looks like because I can't wait really to tell. But yeah, it's like a, it's like a little like a Retron two, you know, like or or FC twin, but it's for uh, just a Famicom. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks a lot. What was his name? Uh, this was JB. All right, thanks JB at and, Japan Retro Games. And we're not going to shy away from stuff. We're not going to put this on YouTube though. But if you want to send him send him stuff, it's a. Uh, See you podcast, Care Pack Country, P.O. Box 7695, San Diego, California, 92167. We're going to be at... Oh, that's really nice. It's mm-hmm. really small. That's cool. We're going to be at Too Many Games in yeah. Oaks, Pennsylvania, June 24th and 25th. Ian has a... 26th. 24th through 26th. It's three days. That's right. Yeah. Ian, don't Ian, don't don't shy that because our, our the CU podcast panel is the 26th. That's right. It's on that Sunday for now. Ian has a shoot 'em up panel. I have my own panel. Uh, so, uh, there's a link if you well you can if you want to support us. There's a link in my in the video I, we did to announce it. But just go to too many games. and buy a ticket. Yeah, and see us. Go have fun. Uh, the book is proofed. Holy shit! I forgot to mention that earlier in the podcast. We really didn't. We really didn't have a preamble. Patreon preamble. We'll have it now, real quick, or, or post amble. So the book is proofed. It's out. It's going to get produced and printed and shipped back here. And hopefully, you guys start hopefully getting it in August. So if you want to order it, ultimatenes.com. You can order the physical version, pre-order it, and it'll be shipped in roughly the order the pre-orders come in, and also the digital versions there. And the last error I found, Jackie Chan's Kung Fu. <laughs> My bad. No password in that, Ian. Yeah, I'll take that up. Um, so there's that. Uh, it's probably real- a copy-paste error. Yeah. Fucking A. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's fun. 
finally done. Some people were complaining about the delay. Sorry, I want it to be accurate. Can't say anything else about it. If you don't want it, you can get a refund. That's all I can say about it. Sorry. But it's going to be the most accurate one-stop shop source. Don't don't snap at me. We're doing our posting. No, I'm saying now. you are snapping like, oh, get a refund. Oh, yeah, you can get a refund. That's not being mean. If you don't like, like, like the delay, you get a refund. I'm sorry. This will be the most accurate single resource of any NES games. I can pretty confidently say that. Combining about five or six internet resources, synthesizing, and getting rid of all the shit. Because Wikipedia is totally inaccurate for so many things, is what I discovered putting this together. Jesus Christ. Anyway, other than that, Ian, did you have fun the past couple of weeks since we decided to talk? Uh, I mean, Vonnie had to go out of town for like five, six days, six days for uh, the Phoenix Comic Convention. And uh, it's always funny because everyone's like, oh, what are you going to do? You know, your wife's out of town. And it's like, I'm, uh, no, I'm going to watch nature documentaries and uh, drink whiskey and play video games with my buddies, which is what we do when Vonnie's around because that's what she's into too. So, uh, honestly, I, I, I've been playing a shitload of Overwatch. I'll probably go home, even though it's late, and get a couple games in and uh, then try to go to bed. But, I mean, uh, yeah, no, nothing exciting here. Never anything really exciting for me to report. <laughs> nothing ever. Go, you're trying to go back to the gym, you said. Yes, I'm trying to go back I'll- to the gym. And uh, I'm, you know, starting to contemplate going back to school, but that's all in the very far future. Everyone we know is going back to school. All right. We're done. No, we're not. We're not done yet. I'm, I'm starting my, my high-protein, high-cholesterol diet and trying to cut out the carbs right now. The NES Punk video is probably going to come out this weekend. It's going to be one, part one of two. Look out for it. And I have ideas for for the summer. It's going to be hot and zesty. And Ian might be involved with one no. idea. Yeah, yes. Probably I not. I, I think you might have to be. Oh. I think it's required by law. It's been far too long since you've been in the video. I don't think there's any law regarding uh, me in videos. I think it's on the. I think that's what the primary was t- today. Primary. <laughs> I, it's it's on the docket. Off. It's it's it's, it's a <laughs> provision one forty one point three. I don't know. Did you vote today in the primary? No. I didn't get a chance to. You didn't feel the burn today. I would have liked to. You like to feel the burn? Usually, that's a bad bad sign when you feel the burn. Usually that's not uh, something you got to get, get looked at. I'm going to get going here. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Muhammad Ali, American icon, very important figure, not just for sports, but for the world. And uh, we'll see you back here, maybe less than two weeks. Maybe we'll do an E3 recap. And, uh, yeah, if you all, oh, if you want to advertise for the CU Podcast, send an email to cupodcast at thepunkeffect.com, and we'll send you nice little rates. And we can... You can be heard up to 40,000 people download our podcast and listen to it on Podbean and iTunes and Stitcher and everywhere else. So for Ian Ferguson, who already has his headphones off and is looking at me like he wants to kill me. The end. I'm Patrick Contry with a beard. Good night. <laughs>